Jack, welcome back to the show. How you Thanks doing? Thanks for having me. It's great, to, yeah, it's great to be back. It's good to have you back, pal. Um, for anybody that doesn't know, obviously you'll see it from the intro, but Jack was on previously. Um, had a really good conversation with him. And um, yeah, I think we're going to get into some uh, some interesting bits today. So sure. uh, yeah, been, when was that? It's been a, it's been a while. Months. I, I, I was thinking to myself earlier, was it was it pre-pandemic or was it in the middle of it? I think it was just as we were getting into it. Yeah, I think it was as well. Um, so it would have been around well, what sort I'm, of I, I, yeah, May last year, year or something? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know about if you've felt this with the pandemic, but time feels so strange. It's like it, it feels like a long time ago that we we spoke, but also that not a lot has actually gone on in that time. Like that time's actually gone really quickly. It's bizarre. It's a really it's a really weird dichotomy of like of, of how I think and feel about time now, because yeah. like in one, like you said, in one breath, the last two years have snapped by but so much has happened yeah and i've effectively lost all sense of it <laughs> so i can't recall anything like yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had a i had a conversation with carol vorderman last april and it seems like it was like four four years ago i was like yeah. it's, it's just kind of it's just kind of a mind fuck you know but yeah, um yes. but uh, no it's, it's good to catch up so i think first and foremost tell me how demographic is going because you guys are you guys are active you're building you know things are things are really coming together on your side so give um give us an update on on sort of what what's been going on with you guys first it's it's been a crazy period you know and like looking at, at that we we often so Brett and I who who are the we're the co-directors and we often just sort of sit and chat about kind of our progress and we do sort of like strategy meetings and stuff and look at ways in which we can fuck things up which I think is important that a lot of companies don't do um 100 that kind of thing and we always say how sort of mad it is the the, the um progress that we've made you know there's we've got just over 30 volunteers working with us um in all different areas we're producing um you know web series for our youtube channel we've just gone through a massive rebrand fully transitioned into being a, an independent media outlet you know for people that don't know that's what we do um it's about not only giving young people a platform to be able to talk about politics and social issues across the political aisle you know breaking down that barrier to entry for people to get into journalism and, and talking about politics but also to show to, to, to create conversations that break down those partisan barriers and bring people together and actually having conversations in a, a solution focused way instead of getting people to butt heads and just doing things for clicks you know that's that's kind of what we're about um so i think that's know, one of the things that really attracted me to the conversation that we had initially was when yeah you know you kind of profiled out what you were all about and what you were trying to build it was you know let's forget about colors let's yeah. you know let, let's just have the conversation that leads us towards a solution around the problems that we're facing, which I thought, sure. you know, not, not only was, you know, unique, especially in our time, but coming from someone who, you know, was, you know, and, and not being ageist or anything like that, but that's usually from somebody who's, you know, seasoned, who can see the experience of, of both sides and the detriment that that does to political discourse and dialogue and conversation and nuance and context and you know all the things that you expect from leaders and politicians and you know anybody in the you know influence space and you know when you guys brought that to life which is you know kind of the ethos around what demographic is it was really refreshing and gave me a lot of of kind of positive feelings around it because it was coming from someone young and because it was focused on that dialogue from young people, I thought that was yeah. brilliant. 
I really appreciate that, mate. Like, I think that that's the thing that's always underpinned whatever we've we've done, and, and particularly, you know, the new shows on the new podcasts that we're producing. We're not just for young people. It just so happens that we're youth-led and young people are involved in the content that we're, we're creating. Absolutely. Um, really, what we we think it's a necessity, really, for the position that the country is in, that somebody, it doesn't really matter who it is, but somebody starts to have these conversations in this way because the direction that we're going, and I'm sure we'll get into this the direction that we're going towards if we don't start having those conversations in a more productive way is not a good place um and i I think that for too long the frustration that we had was that we switch on political programs and it would be this privately educated person versus this person who you know was went to university or whatever talking about these abstract you know stories or ideas without actually engaging with the people who are directly involved and that's the thing that's always frustrated me is why aren't we engaging, first of all, with each other in a more productive way, but also platforming people who are being directly in, like, impacted by stories? How often do you really, really see that? You know, that's something that I'm kind of trying to work on at the moment is if we're doing a story on how the pandemic and lockdowns have impacted cancer waiting times, which is they've decimated, you know, cancer Absolutely. care in the country, the pandemic has. Not, not many, it's not something that we, we're talking about on a, a really wide scale. I want to talk to somebody who has cancer that's been impacted by that. You know, that's how we're really going to learn about what the issue is. Somebody's it's going through it's that. root cause, right? It, it, it's go, it's going to root cause. It's not it's not yeah. this uh, opinion. It's not this speculation. It's not yeah. this. Uh, let me give you what works for my argument sake, you know, and take my viewpoint from, a you know, from a, a, an already biased point of view, because I have yeah. some ulterior motive to get through or, or some talking points to get read and spoken. And, you know, it, it's not about that. And I'm. I'm refreshed by your approach to it because it has that kind of neutral nature to it, you know, and I know you guys are, you know, you have your own political beliefs and and all of that stuff, but that everybody does, but to approach it even with those beliefs in such a neutral fashion to get the solution kind of, you know, the solution focused conversations happening with those people who are impacted by the issues of the discussion is absolutely what we need to be you know, putting up on a pedestal and, and shining more of a light on because otherwise we're just, we're just cross aisle bickering. Yeah, exactly. And it's our goal really just to, to kind of make that the norm. It's not, obviously we've got aspirations to grow and, you know, make lots of money and all of this stuff, you know, that's, that's what we want to do. But also it's about pushing the mainstream media outlets to start having conversations in that way. You know, they've mm-hmm. caused up so many of the issues that we want to see, you know, do you uh, think I, I don't mean to cut you off, Jack? Do you yeah. think do you think there's there's do you think they're well, do you think they're one worth saving and two able to be saved? I, I think they're able to be saved. I'm not so sure whether they're worth saving. Um, you know, <laughs> so the example that I always give is is like Good Morning Britain, you know, sure. the amount of conversations that are held on Good Morning Britain, maybe less so since Piers Morgan left. I haven't watched mm-hmm. it too much since he's left to be honest which says a lot about um the kind of draw that he he is but um i think that shows like that only do bad i don't think too much good comes from good morning britain in the conversations that they have and what that does for kind of discussions more nationally is that those shows are there to rile you up they they want to have they they want to choose an issue that's divisive so like insulate britain for example and have somebody from Insulate Britain, who has these perhaps 
good ideas in principle, but the tactics that they use are ridiculous. And then somebody that absolutely despises, maybe they're a climate denier, despises Insulate Britain. And they just want those people to fight because that's what gets clicks. And it's entertaining, right? You know, it gets our blood boiling and that's kind of what we look for, but it does no good. And these are it's the, the audio. Exactly. It's, it's the audio visual version of clickbait headlines. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what, what it we, is. Yeah. What, what I guess, you know, it's, it's a, it's a long process, but we want to kind of change the way that we have those conversations and do so in, in, in an entertaining and informative way, because, you know, it can be done. Um, yeah. It's not the only way of entertaining people is by having these kinds of conversations. And also there's a major importance behind it. You know, I know we're going to get into like into COP and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Like, these are really important issues that need to be spoken, spoken about in a sensible way. Um, and it's the responsibility they, of those who have power, you know, whether that be you own a media outlet or you mm -hmm. run a newspaper or you're a, a leader to not engage in that fashion and to engage in, a, you know, I hesitate to use the word adult, but a mature manner, right? Um, and so, I'll add one more thing to that. Short form content does not work when you're trying to have political discourse and when you're trying yeah. to have nuanced <laughs> conversations about really nuanced subject matter really you know in order to have in-depth conversations you need to have the time to let those conversations come to fruition develop naturally there has to be you know again it can't be a shouting match but seven minute segments or 12 minute segments that are shouting as you said from one extreme point of view to the other extreme point of view with some mediator in the middle who is fueling one side of that more than the other in most, you know, depending on what channel you're watching is not helpful because all you're doing is reinforcing the echo chambers and the things that we see, you know, in places like social media and, you know, other media outlets, you know, we know who watches Fox. We know who reads the telegraph. We know who watches CNN. We know, you know what I mean? So we, we people are being, diluted into these very very simplistic buckets and that's why i asked the question about if they're even worth saving because i think the whole setup of how our media is produced and distributed is nothing but unhelpful and yeah. it it thrives on being unhelpful because they're not trying to solve issues they're trying to rile people up as you said I agree. Um, and, you know, I think we're still continuing to move away from the more traditional forms of media and those media outlets, you know, take the, the biggest ones in, in this country are will be forced to move away because people just won't watch them anymore. People just my generation aren't going to stick on Good Morning Britain in the morning, you know, and watch the. the I mean, the other than show. other than someone like yourself who is invested in the space and it means something to be abreast in and updated. Yeah. you know up to date on what everybody in the space is saying is anybody your age even watching them now because no, no, i, I don't look at so. the I'm demographic not, I, I don't watch a lot of those programs yeah i mean yeah, exactly. it's interesting that you mentioned yeah, short form content as well because this has been a real challenge for us when we look at the kind of our audience you know sort of 16 to 25 is our main um target demographic yeah. and then um sort of 25 to 30 when we're thinking about the ways that we make content we have to take into account that the majority of our audience are spending probably 60 percent when they're on social media 60 percent of their time they're, they're on instagram or they're on tiktok and so the challenge for us is how can we make content that still falls into our philosophy and our ethos but is transferable to something like 
TikTok, and it's fucking difficult. It's, it's really, really difficult. Tough. Um, so the, the way that media is moving doesn't play into the kind of thing that we're trying to solve. So, you, you know, you, there's lots of different factors and you're kind of fighting against this stuff all, all the time because people have such short attention spans and that's just the way that the world is at the moment. So, you know, how can I, you, how can you, how can you kind of adapt? How can we adapt to that? It's, it's difficult. Um, at least you have a team behind you. Yeah. An amazing right? team. Because yeah. I, I think, you know, it, I, I speak from sort of, you know, a sole creator perspective. And when I'm putting a show like this out, or if it's just me speaking to the camera for an hour and a half, then the production is on me. Yeah. The distribution is on me. The sound quality, all of that, all of those different kind of little nuanced issues, they're all residing in one person. And it makes it very difficult to then take an hour and a half show and start parsing it into, you know, one minute clips yeah. where you're trying because again that's not how I talk that's not how I distribute my my thoughts or anything like that so I totally feel you it's just again it the benefit you have I suppose is you've got a great team behind you that can help yeah. assist in that distribution and they're native to those platforms I'm not native to TikTok right I know there's an audience out there for me but I haven't engaged and even attempting to sure. get to that audience yet you know my yeah, my yeah, thing yeah. is like yeah. get it up on youtube and, and let's let, let's see if anybody can stand you know 90 minutes of uh, of a guy just <laughs> ranting you know but you know <laughs> at least you have that support system behind you that says okay we can we can do some other production we can take advantage of these platforms we know our audience is there we know how to manifest ourselves into those platforms i think you know you'll figure it out for sure. Yeah, I, I think so, too. And we're lucky to have not only, you know, people who are have expertise in those those platforms at, at a young age, but they're passionate about what we're trying to do as well. You know, when we're, we're looking to bring people onto the team, um, something that we always look for and a question that we always ask people is, you know, what are you what are you passionate about? What do you care about? Why? Why do you want you know, to be working towards our, our goals? And to us, that's more important than whether you have expertise in Excel or whether how good you are on the Adobe suite. You know, like if you're passionate about what we're trying to do and you can kind of transfer those ideas towards creating interested and engaging content that's the most important thing um, and sure. there's every young person i meet every young person i meet is passionate about something whether they believe that they're political or not there's something that ties into to politics that they deeply deeply care about that's impacted them and they want to get involved i want to be given the opportunity to be able to talk about that um, and well, that's reassuring I, you know absolutely no, i think sorry go ahead you've got a little lag uh, no yeah, I was going to say, it's just reassuring to know that when we're looking towards the future and solving those issues, that people, when engaged, want to, you know, get stuck in and have solutions and have ideas as to how to, to fix them. And the trick is talk, speaking to those people and giving them the opportunity to be able to talk about issues, engage, talk about solutions. And that isn't done enough. It, it shouldn't just be youth-led organisations like ours that are engaging with those people. We need the more established institutions, the more established outlets to be doing that as well. Um, otherwise, people fall off the the radar. You know, as they they get older, they get disillusioned with the system, and that's what creates these these perpetual issues. Yeah, for sure. And you know, as you said, if you if you ask somebody, they may not think of themselves as political, but they definitely got an opinion that matters a lot to them about something. And in you know, in that, everyone is political to a degree. It's just about what you're political about, and you should have everybody should have the opportunity to speak opinions and truth to power 
And I think that's a really, really good thing because especially from what you guys are doing from the youth side of things is you're giving, you're giving voices who are often told, well, what do you know? You're 16. Yeah. You know, I've been, I've been guilty of this. Even when I talk about someone like Greta Thunberg, right? Like I'm guilty of saying like, what the hell do you know? Right. But mine's less about the number of years you've been on the earth, more about, you know, opinion versus qualifications around specific subject matters that you're talking about. I don't want to hear from somebody who has no experience in a certain field, just, you know, the opinion is fine. The opinion is fine, but don't come at me as like an expert and don't come me, don't come at me as an authority, come at me with an opinion. Your opinion always matters but don't expect me to take it as science when you talk about something from a opinion-based point of view. There, there's, there's, there, there's delineation to be had there, I think. Sure. Um, yeah. And that goes for everybody, you know, it goes, you know, absolutely. Take, take people at, at their, at their point, at what they say at the kind of quality of what they're trying to communicate. Um, yeah. That's, the, the, you know, for sure the most important thing. I mean, I, I listened to your uh, episode this morning whilst I was walking my dogs and um <laughs> you know talking about cop and i wanted to hear your thoughts before i came on the, the show and it was interesting and i think i think you and greta thunberg agree far more than you think you and greta thunberg agree well i would say. one of the one of the things when i was editing that episode back one of the things and it also goes to the point around the insulate britain mm. uh nutbags that are you know that are <laughs> gluing their faces to concrete yeah. it's like obviously we have a and i said this on the show when i covered it right obviously we have a misalignment in terms of how we go about making change, sure. but I don't think the underlying issues that they're raising are wrong. And it's the same yeah. with Greta. Do like, as again, I don't, I'm not a climate denier. Yeah. 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 You know, but blah, blah, blah doesn't work. <laughs> I think even it may be even, even the kind of, deeper than that because I think what, what what she's saying there you know from what I interpret from it is mm -hmm. kind of the point that you were making I think you probably made it in maybe a more eloquent way but what I think she's trying to say is that we have these world leaders that come to to this stage that go to COP and um, talk about how important it is to fight the climate crisis and you know blah 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 they're all chatting away and yeah. really what we get from that is is, is no results we, we're not Correct. getting a um, like like you said to fight the, the climate crisis whether you believe whether you're a passionate kind of uh you know you're passionate about tackling the climate crisis or, or not it's obvious to everybody that really globally and probably you know in this country as well there's no real concrete plan okay how over the next 30 years or the next whatever it is 28 years are we going to get to uh, achieve our net zero 2050 mm -hmm. goals which is essentially the point that you were making right? that that's why For it's sure. kind of an empty event because really it's just a bunch of world leaders kind of patting each other on the back and talking about how important it is that we um solve this stuff with with actually no substance behind it correct um, and, we'll, and we're so going to jump into cop in a minute for sure um and, and get yeah. into it because i'm really keen to get your opinions on uh, on the uh, on the two weeks that have just kind of ended yesterday i think to the point about greta um i don't disagree with you that there is an alignment there in terms of you know politicians you know giving it the big one but doing nothing of substance behind it absolutely my my issue with people like greta is she's doing the activist version of what the politicians are doing right mm. so she's out there saying politicians are saying blah 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 and she's actually not providing at least and correct me if i'm wrong jack 
but I'm not hearing any concrete plans or solutions from her or her team. This is not a little 18 year old that's rolling solo. She's got an army behind her. I'm not hearing anything of substance in terms of what, okay, well, if, if politicians are going blah, 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 instead of telling them they're going blah, 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 why don't you tell them the ideas you have for solving the problem? Because she has an unprecedented platform for someone of her age who's just been effectively skipping school for the last three and a half years, right? And I know I'm, I'm, no, I'm drilling this down to a lowest common denominator, <laughs> like just to get the reaction out of you there. But, um, you know, I guess what I'm saying is nobody on the activism side or the political spectrum is saying, uh, and I know you had somebody that you were talking about in, in one of the initiatives. I saw something on, on Twitter about it. Um, you were talking to, to a guy, I can't remember his name, about uh, what he was taking away yeah, from Papa, what he'd seen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I think, okay, well, under the surface, maybe there are some plans being discussed. I want to know what they are, because for someone like Greta, who has seemingly has a platform whenever and wherever she wants it, I haven't heard anything of substance from yeah. her. So, so uh, if, if, if I can be corrected on that, no, throw it at me. I, I think this is the problem with kind of the direction that activism has, has moved in. I, I think that, that Greta Thunberg and the Fridays for Future kind of project have done an, has done an incredible job of mobilizing young people and pushed the conversation forward to a point where it's incredibly difficult to ignore the climate crisis and to not put attention onto it. I think that they've, that's kind of the job of activists is to shift the Overton window towards the point where you have to discuss this stuff. Extinction Rebellion as well, whatever you think about their tactics, they have made it so it's incredibly difficult not to have some kind of focus on the climate crisis in the national conversation. And they would argue that that is a, a success. And I, I would think it, it, it would be as well. I think the problem with the speeches often that somebody like Greta does is that if you have a limited amount of time, and I, I would want there to be far more focus on the substance as well, you want to rile people up, and it's kind of her job to rally people together, and that's it's far easier to do that if you're, you're kind of rah-rah and, and shouty and than it is if you're talking about specific policy points. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that she has put forward things like, um, you know, banning investment into fossil fuels or taxing the, the companies, the 100 companies that contribute 71% of you know carbon emissions or carbon emissions mm -hmm. she has spoken about that kind of thing it's not what grabs the headlines so I think often what you see and obviously you know there is a massive element of this as well is the shouty kind of rantiness um, and the, the substance gets reported on less where you're bang on I think is the fact that underneath a lot of this conversation um, is incredible individuals incredible companies that are doing a lot to try and push the future of renewable energy, sustainability, carbon neutrality forward. So somebody like Max and Porterbrook who are working on this, you know, this train, this upcycle train that runs off of um, hydrogen, this hydrogen powered, um, you know, lots of interest into that at, at, at COP. That kind of thing is going on a lot. What they don't have is the platform or the investment from government and industry to be able to push forward as, as much as they'd like. So it's incredibly difficult part-time I work for um, a renewable energy company that kind of support industry and academia in creating and talking about policy and how their work can be implemented into policy and one of the most frustrating things for me is that oftentimes government don't want to engage massively with these companies and organizations as much as they should um, 
you know, the fossil fuels lobby, uh, the nuclear lobby are far more powerful and far more experienced in pushing forward their agenda. We're still seeing massive subsidies for fossil fuel companies. Um, fossil fuel companies are still researching new ways to, to drill for, for fossil fuels. There isn't the legislation that we need in order to meet the goals. And beneath the surface, there's a lot of technology that's being created, you know, whether it be offshore wind, floating wind, whether it be um, tidal power, you know, all of this stuff. But the question is, are people interested in, in discussing it and are people interested in giving it the time that it needs to be able to push the agenda and the conversation forward? We'd much rather sit around the debate, you know, insulate Britain, gluing their heads to concrete than we would actually talk about <laughs> floating wind, which I get in a way, you know, it's, it's far more kind of interesting and exciting. But, but it's not. We can't... It's not. Yeah, well, maybe... Like sure. if you're yeah. talking to me about floating wind technology yeah. right, or tidal, tidal based, you know, renewable energy solutions. Yeah. When you start to look at these solutions and they've been around, right. Mm. And they've been, you know, conceptually around and, and being developed for some time. Yeah. The, the actual details of these projects is wildly interesting. Sure. It's wildly interesting. And yeah. if it will then form, the basis and the underpinning of a new economy it is within everybody's interest not only to take advantage of the opportunities sure. to you know profit from a new industry developing but also for the survival of your family yeah the nuance of these conversations is the interesting bit greta standing up there or anybody else yelling is boring to me. And I know it grabs headlines. And I know, and this goes back to the media part of it, right? Is that the media doesn't care about the solutions. They care about the outrage, right? They care about the salaciousness of the movement rather than the details of the movement. Because I think talking to people who are developing renewable energy solutions mm. are amazing. And I think they're wildly interesting, as I said. But We've got COP, which is just to solve the climate change issue, which is 26 years old. We've got these great people like, you know, the gentleman you were talking about there developing some of these solutions, but yet the funding's not there, yet the engagement's not there. So I guess we go to this, this place where, well, is COP just a facade? I think so. I, I, I think so. I think that the... the is it the is it the appearance of action rather than the want or you know or, or or the ambition of action? Like, do they intend? Because I feel this is all bollocks, complete <laughs> nonsense, right? I think nobody is talking about, as I said in the show, nobody's talking about the bridge. The bridge are these companies. Hmm. The bridge are these technologies. The bridge is the people who are committing themselves to building what that new economy looks like. That's the bridge. We're not talking about the bridge. COP didn't talk about the bridge. It said, we're, you know, we're one minute to midnight. We're five, one down. We're, you know, we're, we're, we're you know, we're yeah. almost dead yeah. basically. If that is the case, why are you not working night and day to formulate a plan that transforms society, which there are ideas out there there are tons of ideas out there. There are tons of plans and, and policy proposals out there for people to be able to do that. The problem that we have, and, and this is something that has just over the past like two or three years been really cemented in my mind, is that we've been graced with some of the most uninspiring leaders, world leaders in modern history. 
what the, a great way to put it. They are a, a boring and pathetic bunch of people. When it comes to more. Boris Johnson giving that that speech, what, we're one minute to midnight. If you genuinely believe that, would you not be, you know, moving cavern and earth? To, exactly to have this green industrial revolution where we create tons of new sustainable jobs, where we transform the economy, where you know there are massive subsidies for renewable energy companies. We phase out fossil fuels completely. We destroy, finally, destroy these companies that have decimated the the earth. You know, we. It, it, it's incredible the stuff that we could do, the infrastructure that we could put in place, you know, sustainable, like, you know, the sustainable transport networks that we could have across the country, not just in London, across the country that would transform the economy of this country. If you genuinely believe that this is that big of an issue, surely that, that's what you would be trying to do. You know, was it Biden talking about we, we need a war effort? I agree. No, it was Prince I, Charles. Oh, Prince Charles. I completely agree. I completely agree. But there's nobody really, apart from maybe some of the Scandinavian countries, that are looking at this issue in that way. You know, Sweden, we, we, we put a post out on our, um, our, our Instagram to kind of accompany this, this interview um, about Sweden's transport network and how they've kind of revolutionized transport in, in Sweden in like four or five years, right. way ahead of their, their goals. It's possible to do this and it's good for the economy. It's, it's fantastic for people's lives. It, it transforms, it would transform the country. But, there's no willingness, there's no political willingness to, to do this, you know, and that's the problem. And I would argue, and I, I don't, maybe we disagree on this, but I would argue that the, the, um, the threat of not doing that is the transformation of the world as we know it. You know, if we don't start to act and we don't start to meet targets, I don't think net zero by 2050 is ambitious enough. We're going to see the largest displacement of people in modern history. We're going to see cataclysmic weather events becoming the norm, people being killed en masse because of these events. Um, if we think the migrant crisis is bad now, wait until whole countries are inhabitable, like cities are already. It's, it's going to be chaos, you know? It's well, this is the thing, right? Yeah. The world. So, yeah, go on, keep going, keep going. No, everybody should be invested in, in wanting to um solve this in a, as productive a way as possible um and unfortunately but little guys can only do their interest. part right little little guys yeah I, I normal agree. people I they can only do their bit and i think i covered this it, briefly on on the when i was when i was speaking about it in the show previously yeah. was you know we recycle right we don't drive our car willy-nilly i don't take it to the shop that's five minutes down the road we yeah. you know we turn off all our electrical outlets like but where are these government subsidies? My friend in Canada, right? The Canadian government was giving people rebates for their solar energy production. So effectively, they would pay you or give you a severely discounted rate to install solar panels on your house. And after you hit a certain marker, everything else that you gave back to the grid, you were paid for. It was effectively yep. like having a renter that was paying like half of his mortgage for him. You know, where are these plans in the UK? I, I don't see any of it. And that willingness that la or that lack of willingness to make any material change just just shows me, like you said, what a bunch of uninspired, boring leaders we have who are absolutely not interested in making any change materially whatsoever, because this net, you know, net zero by 2050. Well, 95 percent of the politicians we have in place now are all going to be dead. What do they care? All they want to do is ride out in the sunset, you know, with their golden handshake 
and you know as much lobbying money and we'll get to some of the other aspects of that <laughs> lobbying money you know later on in the show but you know it's just okay well if they're not truly serious what's this facade all about i i completely agree on the point about what what individuals can do um it's minimal because the real change comes with the power of, of government Damn. investment and and companies industry either being um kind of regulated effectively so like fossil fuel companies being regulated effectively or those subsidies being given to companies that actually want to transform infrastructure or energy or whatever um so it's, that's obvious you know we, we will not deal with the climate crisis whilst fossil fuel companies exist in the way they do now that just is a fact like you know you know whatever you think about the free market or whatever like if you're serious about uh, tackling the climate crisis either these companies need to be told by i believe 2030 at the latest you completely transition to clean energy or you're not allowed to trade in this company in this country anymore that, that yeah. they need to be told that otherwise we don't move forward but um, but but looking at it but i guess that's the i guess that's the macro view right because we have, the, the government has to sack up basically and start telling people like saudi arabia this is not the way you go forward if you want to you know have all of your money invested in our property all of your you know all of the ties that bind us together economically you can't have those anymore right that's a macro view of it but there's also put your money where your mouth is kind of on a on a on a more local level within this country right and i think i mentioned this on the show previously as well it's like when i look at councils and the local councils i'm seeing these they they're telling us don't drive cycle walk public transport all of that but they're not making any attempts to transition their fleet of vehicles into electric the, the thing is with that mate is that these councils they barely have enough money to be able to function as it is they're they're the, the amount of funding that they've been given has been slashed so horrifically over the last 15 years since the toys came into power but all they can do is put up those signs and it comes back to, to in my view central government and central leadership to be able to fund local councils effectively enough so that they can make those transitions because they will know you know as a local resident what the best way for them to transition is what needs to be done they will know as well i, I would hope um so they need to yeah but then i see the call opinion, then, but the then i see but then I see like where I live, Southeast London, right? I'm in the Greenwich borough, right? So I see the Royal Borough of Greenwich and I see the council spending, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds on vanity projects, mm. right? A couple of years ago, they spent 96,000 pounds on a wishing tree, a good wishes tree in Greenwich Park, where you just like tied like a well-wishers note to it and hung it up and yeah. the leaves were made of all of these notes. 96,000 pounds? on this you know i don't know how much it's taken to construct the the low traffic neighborhoods that benefit you know the i guess you call them the top five percent of residents in the borough right mm -hmm. all all west greenwich has is you know million pound houses and up right mm -hmm. well coincidentally that's where our labor council has decided to build the ltns so all the children in the three schools that are around my my house now, when they walk to school in the morning, they're being pumped full of fumes because mm -hmm. this bottleneck has been created by our labor councillors in how they've created these LTNs. This has happened in Enfield. This has happened in Greenwich. This has happened in in uh, Brighton and Hove. Like the the number of the number of uh, LTNs that have been built and these cycle networks. And again, I'm not I'm not against cycling, right? But 
it's the way they're deployed, right? We're, are we actually trying to solve the congestion and pollution problem, or are we just trying to protect valuable voters? That's what I see on a local level. Yeah, and, that's interesting. Man. You know, there's been millions pumped into local councils during the pandemic for, you know, emergency services and, you know, whatever they're allocating their money for. I'd love to do an audit on some of these councils. But, you know, now with the Afghanistan situation that just happened, they were given another influx of money to support the rehousing and rehoming of, you know, the, the migrants that have come over from Afghanistan. Again, I'm not in principle against this stuff, but we know what happens when you bring refugees into the country and give them support from the ground up, right? It is effectively a way of buying votes. They do it in America with the illegal immigrants that cross over, right? And they, and it's, if it's a Republican president, they're, they're building a wall right? But as soon as the Democrats are in, it's like, come on over, we're going to give you hundreds of thousands in support and relief money, right? That's buying effectively, you know, maybe, maybe I'm cynical, I don't know. But that seems to me as, a, as an easy way to buy some votes. So on the local level, I think there's a real accountability issue on how funds are managed within local councils. And I would love to see an audit on how that money is spent, because I see a lot of wastage a lot of wastage that could be put towards better usage if we're actually serious about this climate issue. I I, I don't disagree with with the um, with you in, in principle on, on the way that local residents should be consulted about how councils spend their money. One hundred percent, they should be. But again, you know, this is an issue with our political system, yes. and the only people that can change that are those in 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 government. I, I believe that we should be devolving powers to local councils and local people so they can be more engaged and more involved and hold to account the local councillors more effectively i don't know if you've ever been to a local council meeting i've been to, i live in dartford i've been to local council meetings there's like three people there yep. you know and these are their decisions are being made oftentimes in ways that i disagree with without any accountability from local people whatsoever you know you, that's, you hear... that's the problem with devolving it into the local uh space right because yeah. before you devolve it into local like local politics and 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 local decision making you have to find a way of integrating the community into those you know in into those decision making processes but the the point i think of most residents and and again maybe maybe i'm being a cynic on this is I think people are truly embedded with the thought, and maybe it's different for, for the younger generation, but I think for people who are a little bit older, they feel like, why would I bother? And that viewpoint is the most destructive viewpoint you can have when you want to actually impact some change, right? Because, well, that just lets them operate with impunity. It, it does, but I'm, I'm never surprised that people think that because people are given so few ways help. We're not educated on how we can get involved in our local government and hold no. local councillors to account over their decision making. So if, if you if you aren't able to, um, if you're or if you're not aware as to how you can influence things locally, when you look at the country nationally, you're going to think, "Fuck me! I, there's no way I'm going to be able to influence what's so going on if I can't do anything." Even yeah. Be, yeah, if I can't be in control of what happens on my street, I'm not going to be able to control what happens, you know, on a national level. We forget. These people work for us. They work for us. We are their employer. 
Yeah, like, who you telling? <laughs> yeah, right. Like it, it's 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 um it boggles my mind at how first of all how little control that we have actually over what goes goes on. You know, it's evident with the the government at the moment and the approval that we the, the approval ratings that have, have come out in the last few days. Mass disapproval, not only of Boris Johnson but of Keir Starmer, of Ed Davey, political leaders that people just do not trust. So Definitely. when it comes to voting, first of all, we don't have a truly representative voting system anyway so you know you can win power off of not having a majority of votes or what have you but also um they can get into government and act with complete impunity with almost no accountability because of Definitely. how fucked the system is so of course people feel disenfranchised and then people just turn away you know not interested don't want to get involved they can't be asked with it i've got to feed my kids i've got to focus on you know paying my bills so it's not it's no surprise that people don't want to get involved and until we start to solve those issues the only way often people can voice their concern is through you know mass protest or um gluing yourself to the floor or whatever it whatever it is you know like or, uh, that's or you go on feel like they can be heard yeah or you go on these rampages on twitter where you just start tagging everybody you can yeah, yeah. because i've i've found that's like that's yeah. the only way that i can get any sort of dialogue with my local council right but the thing yeah. is i've also been blocked by three of the major councillors in the royal borough of greenwich right so one That's i think that should be yeah. illegal <laughs> I, I i don't think i don't think government uh, and elected officials should be allowed by law to block constituents from commenting on them unless something egregious has happened Right. Obviously, we've seen what happened with that MP who was stabbed to death, you know, doing, uh, you know, doing, do, doing his I don't know. What do you call it? It's like a surgery. Surgery. That's it. Very, very weird name for meeting your constituents. <laughs> um, but, you know, obviously, that sort of behavior should never be allowed to happen at all. But you should be able to look a counselor in the face and tell him he's a fucking idiot because of the things that he's done right you don't I, I like yes there's there's you know there's there's the proper discourse that you should use yeah. but but when i can't get the garbage picked up on a regular cycle as you said if i can't even manifest change on my own street there's got to come a point where some of that courtesy goes out the window and we start telling these people exactly how we feel about them without crossing that line yeah uh, I think that, yeah, of course, and you push people to the point where they feel like they've got, you know, um, they have to go and call them a fucking idiot or whatever. Like These, that, these the, councillors, the mate, these councillors are getting elected in local elections by getting 2,500 votes. Yeah. But the, We're completely again, switched goes, off. When, when you look at the root cause of that, so the, voter engagement is a massive, massive problem in this country, right? So the, yeah. Where that comes from, in my opinion, is that we don't teach people about politics in schools. We don't teach people how important it is to vote and what power you can have and you know the way that voting works and the way that laws are made and created and you know these like fundamental underpinnings in this country you know where they teach about politics from a really young age in private schools in yeah, the schools course. most of the are most leaders in this country come from they take they teach about politics from a really young age because it's important yeah and how are you going to create generations that believe that first of all the political system represents them but also how they can get involved in creating change. If you're not educating people about it, that's the first step. And we don't even do that. So, you know, it, it, we, 
it's all well and good. I think it's important to have these conversations. But like you say, it's about looking at the issues and looking at solutions. And oftentimes we don't even get to that point because we have we live in a kind of world in a discourse in a country that is so messed up so divisive that we're not even looking at the the root causes um so so the, to you the root cause is starting with education yeah and getting yeah. that political dialogue started from a very very early age no doubt i and i it's completely not even about, agree it's not even about ideology either so you know that we're, we're involved in the um the all party parliamentary group for political literacy and political education right so you know having conversations about how this would be implemented in government um really productive started by a group called shout out uk who do really good um political literacy and political education courses for schools um they're a really fantastic organization and there's progress starting to be made the the stumbling block that people come up against often is people will say well you're just going to have you know either lefty teachers indoctrinating kids or right-wing teachers indoctrinating kids or whatever we're not talking about teaching people about ideology we're not no. talking about teaching people about you know what they should believe on 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 foreign policy or on taxation or whatever. it's the That's component parts about. it's the component part absolutely it's how the country works how the political system works the history of parliament you know the way that these processes are formed that's what we're we're discussing Taking an engine people can apart. make their minds up yeah yeah people can make their minds up as they they grow up about you know their political beliefs and political ideology but if we're not teaching people about the way that the country works and how to get into power and how to get involved in politics and why it's important and you know xyz how elections work like I say, there's never going to be any solution to this stuff because people fundamentally don't know how to, to change anything. And that's a, that's a major issue. A major, sure. you're, you're not even giving people the opportunity to have agency over their own lives. You so know, true. How, how are they supposed to make it? <laughs> and, and then all it does is boils down into, like we said at the beginning, it's a yelling match between one ideology and the other. And it's just butting heads, butting heads, butting heads. And from a traditional you know, government structure point of view, that suits them just fine. Yeah, 100%. Because nothing's going to change. Yeah, ab absolutely. And that's, in my view, the, the kind of the cynic in me would say that's the reason we don't teach about um, politics or... Except you know, for even the next like, ones that are coming up. Except for private schools. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because fundamentally, a lot of the people in charge don't believe that if you go to a pub uh, to a, a state school you should be taught about that kind of thing that's yeah. the fundamental belief because they're probably scared about what happens and rightly so they should be fucking scared about what happens if you start teaching regular people about politics because they'll engage and they'll start realizing how broken things are and then not only will they progress engage, in my view yeah man not only will they engage but they'll engage more most importantly in the right way and yeah. that will be what impacts the change. They won't just be yelling through a computer screen on a social media platform or, you know, talking to their local, you know, whatever it is. They're going to know the machinations of how the system works and be able to get inside of it. And the thing for me is I don't, again, the root cause point that you made about this being uh, education-wide discussion and teachings is... I think the only way you start to make this change in any way, shape or form, there is no, I don't see a way where say somebody like me, for instance, who has never been part of that system, 
just using myself as an example for lack of any other example, but someone like me who has no political uh, affiliations, has never gone through those channels, how could I even get elected to my local council? Because like, who the hell is this guy? You know, and unless you're some, you know, some soapbox warrior that can really then just like capture the hearts and minds. But I think we're too embedded in our ideologies already, especially on a local level, to even have an impact on that. So I don't see how this can happen from a top down. It's only going to be multi-generational from the bottom up once we start to make that structural change in education. Yeah, I agree. And I think social media is changing that. I think it's a lot easier for people to identify issues now than it ever was, um, you know, sort of through, through social media and, and the amount of how easy it is to, to access information. But, but with that comes teaching people how to use these things responsibly and, you know, and knowing where sort like the, the sources that they're engaging with and, and how to research properly. And, you know, all, all of that stuff is again, really important as well because people fall down rabbit holes, you know, it, it definitely happened to me. Or you, know? or you get pushed down a rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and you just, you, you have, you know, ideas that are wrong and they're not factually based and et cetera, et cetera. And you get really ingrained in that belief system. Um, so, you know, it creates other problems that should be, um, uh, you know, that should be dealt with. But I think particularly with that education point and, and looking at, at where we are, again coming back to that where we are within society and the direction that we're we're heading in if we want to create a country that is effective a great a great place to live the best country in the world whatever you know if you've got whatever your notion is i want this country to be the best place to live on earth not because i believe that we're inherently better than anybody else but because i live here and i want to live in the best country in the world 100 me too yeah, the best education system, the best, best healthcare system, the best public services, the best transport, the best, best, best infrastructure, all of that stuff. Not some arbitrary idea of like what the best country in the world is. Yeah. We need regular people to be able to engage in, in these processes. I wonder, did you see the video of um, Jacob Rees-Mogg being confronted by the disabled guy at the, I the did. Conservative Party conference? He had cerebral palsy. I did. Did you see that? That's the sort of he wanted to engage with that gentleman, showed me how important it is that we give regular people the ability to be able to speak to politics to account more effectively than any media outlet does. Definitely. You know, like it was, it was clear that he was being held to account by somebody who had been pushed to their wits end because of the way that they, they had been treated by decisions that somebody like Mog had, has made. And that is, that is powerful. When you give people that ability, that is powerful. And that's when you get actual change. And the Conservative Party don't want anything to do with that. And the only reason is because they know that they're running the country into the ground fundamentally. Um, and they don't want to be held to account. They don't want to have to have those uncomfortable conversations. And that's not a good place to be. You know, that's, that's not democratic, first of all. No. It's not a good place, not a productive place for a country to be. But does, like, does late, like, I, and I guess this is the problem with the political system, you know, at, at its root is, okay, does labor solve that? Because I don't have any faith in that party at all. 
Like I was, you know, I've never voted blue in my life until the last election because I couldn't stand anything about the labor party. It's focus on these, again, these distraction piece issues without, listen, the conservative government has fucked up so bad during the pandemic, right? Yeah. It was literally, it, it, like, how could you not come off better with that bunch yeah. of clowns running the place? And yet labor still look like a joke. It's a great question. I, 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 like, I don't I, I, understand I don't how you can you, give um, away, you know, correct. yeah, I don't know how you can give away victory. Like, you're just giving up the win. Like, ah, no, we don't want it. We can't be bothered. Yeah. Let, let's argue about Islamophobia or anti-Semitism in the Labour Party, which is a goddamn joke, in my opinion. You know, I don't think we've got like maybe there's some off the cuff remark. I don't know what the systemic issues around these problems are, but I can tell you what they are nowhere near top of the list of priorities that an uh, that an opposition government party should be focused on. It's a it's 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 absolute garbage. So I look to them and I say, well, the conservatives are a bunch of clowns. They're clearly a, a bunch of corrupt, you know, nepotism-based individuals. But on this side, my choices are weakness. Yeah. So this is, the, again, you know, a fundamental issue with our... I'm a Labour Party member, for the record. I know you I'm are. Really unhappy with the position that the party's in. Um, couldn't agree with you more. The fact that, you know, we've only just taken the lead in the polls for the first time since... Uh, like, I don't know, a month or two after Starmer took over leadership is a joke, considering the way that um, the country's been run over the last couple of years. I think that the party is incredibly weak. The problem is we live in a two part, a quasi two party system because of the way that first past the post works. So that you're only voters are only really given to two options unless you live in certain specific constituencies. Exactly. That's an issue because you create a system where people can't be held to account properly and they are put in the place where they go, well, I live in, you know, traditionally what's known as a bellwether seat. So the way that Dartford goes, usually the government ends up that that colour, that party. Um, if it's incredibly safely conservative at the moment, if you live in Dartford and you go, the, 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 am I going to vote Labour here? The Tories are just going to win. I don't like the Labour Party, but I don't like the Tories. I either, you know, vote for a third or fourth party and effectively waste my feel like I'm wasting my vote, yeah. or I vote for a party that I don't actually like. Do we live in a democracy when that's the, the no. um, position that, that voters are put in? I don't think it's democratic. No. So the system needs overhauling, but the, the system's never going to be overhauled because it suits the people that are in power. Brett, you know, I said that my co-director always says that, and he's exactly the sort of person that the Labour Party should be appealing to, right? Like proper lefty, you know, social justice focused, like wants to... Yeah. The, the, deal with the issues that are impacting working people he, the labor party he should be a safe vote for for the labor party but he hates it because they're not focused on these issues and always says to me the reason that labor won't um advocate for something like proportional representation which would you know bring about a more democratic system that's like a that's like a one probably... like that's like one person one vote count them all yes, take exactly. the total right that's what that is yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. So if you if a, a party gets forty percent of the votes, they'd get forty percent of the seats. You know. Yeah. Um, 
the reason that true representation advocate for that yeah is because it would destroy the labor party yeah because all of a sudden you give other parties the ability to get into power um you don't live in this ingrained two-party system anymore and therefore the labor party won't do the right thing and back it even though the majority of its membership want to see it um put in place you know it's not that's not democratic fundamentally and then you you get to the point where you have a government that is openly corrupt openly and doesn't even give a toss about the kind of thing that they're doing you know but boris johnson in a speech the uk is not a corrupt country at cop the fact that he's even addressing that as an issue shows that there's a major major problem yeah because there's no accountability from the opposition in between his catnaps in between his yeah, catnaps oh, next no, to that we haven't spoken about that I like i mean what the hell are we talking about you got joe biden passing <laughs> out being woken up by one of his staffers right yeah. he's he's completely conking out you got boris johnson taking a nap next to david attenborough can't be bothered to wear a mask old yeah. man sitting next to i mean all of the things that they tell us to do they can't be bothered to do themselves yeah. right it's an absolute it's an absolute joke being completely inclusive okay and then the israeli delegate can't get in because she's in a wheelchair it's like you know minor issues and major issues but it all comes down to one thing in my opinion and that it's an absolute farce the whole thing the whole structure this this you know however many tens what did they say it was going to cost 20 million to run cop or something like that what a sham what an absolute sham yeah i agree and you know it it's, it's hard i mean i'm fundamentally quite a positive and optimistic person but it's it's bloody difficult to stay that way when you look at the the, the position that the country's in and Listen, i always sorry i cut you off go ahead go ahead go for it no i no, was go just go gonna ahead. say i was just gonna say you can be an optimistic person and you can be raging blood mad oh, at yeah, the yeah, same yeah. time and that's what i think i am right because i'm i'm i think i'm a realist in 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 the you know in the great scheme of things but I'm optimistic about the possibilities, right? Mm. But I'm but I'm blood red mad at how things are being run, how things are being, you know, just business as usual, business as usual. We pretend to care, but it's business as usual, you know? That's 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 the problem, is that this what what does business as usual has become corruption, avoiding issues, irresponsible spending of taxpayers' money, yep, lie lying to win elections becoming the norm whether it be you know brexit whether it be the last two elections you know just open they don't care they 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 just lie they lie they do the opposite they make a decision they you turn on it there's no accountability and you just think what direction is the country headed in with the lack of opposition that we have a government that has such a safe um majority that they can act in this way finally i think that the media, particularly newspapers, are starting to pick up on this stuff more. The Daily Mail, whatever's going on at the Daily Mail, they've started running front pages on task. Because if, if we don't and we keep heading down this direction, business as usual becomes, uh, you know, all, all of these things becomes corruption, becomes, you know, and, um, an undemocratic system that people just accept and we're already in it. live that way we're already in it and that's sure. why you know and and, yeah. and that's why i think like okay well what other than a revolution 
you know, and not to put my <laughs> Che Rivera hat on or anything like that, because I don't want to be painted anywhere <laughs> near in that light. But that, like, again, if we're going to go the education route, right, from the ground up, that has to start now. And you're talking 50 years before you see anything manifest off of it. Yeah, We haven't got that time. So what does it take now? You, you mentioned that, the revolution angle. What position do you put people in where it, that even becomes a possibility or a suggestion? So I, I, something that I, I think it's actually Jordan Peterson where I first heard this sort of theory put forward. But the, the reason why um, effective governance is so important is because, well, obviously, for so many reasons, but you want to create a society that has some kind of stability, right? Mm -hmm. And when you don't do that, when you act with impunity, when you set an example of corruption, of not following the rules, et cetera, et cetera, you are putting people in, in the position, many people in the position where they feel the only way to stop that is either through mass riots, mass protest, violence, and you don't want to get to that point. So whatever your belief is, you, you should want to live in a society that where the, those in power are setting an example that at least leads to some kind of stability. And I even think, you know, as the Cameron government decimated this country through austerity and were, were responsible for tens of thousands of deaths because of austerity policies, that hasn't pushed us over the edge. That didn't push us over the edge. You know, these, these corruption stories that have come out haven't pushed us over the edge. COVID and the way that the government has handled COVID hasn't pushed us over the edge. So are we, have we just become a country that just accepts this stuff now. You know, we're what, becoming, 140 people dead from COVID. We're, we're becoming not only a country, but I believe more widely a, 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 a global community of zombies. I think, I, I think the act, I think the activists are, are the minority. I think most people most people would rather send a tweet than go out and march all day long. We've become a country of, we've become a society of lazy people, of people who are scared in a lot of ways to break from their routine because they feel vulnerable already. I think we've got, we've gotten to a place where, and I know, you know, you've got your thoughts on kind of how social media helps, you know, facilitate the conversation the important conversations which i don't disagree with but the overwhelming negative impacts of social media are turning us into just mush brained zombies that really can't read past the third paragraph of an article or put a critical thought together if our you know if we were being held at gunpoint i really really truly believe that the the majority of people don't have the don't have the time, the knowledge, or the inclination to really make the structural changes required to unseat power, to make fundamental changes to, you know, to the apparatuses in place that are bringing us down into these places. And I think we're, I think we're effectively being frog march, marched towards uh, a cliff. I, I think that the point that stands out from what you just said to me the most is that people don't have the time, the inclination, the, the ability to be able to stand up to this stuff. And that's the most worrying part to me. You know, most people in the country, aren't, they don't have the time to be going out on marches. They don't even have the time to be on Twitter. Most people in this country 
are focused on putting food on the table or working three jobs to support their kids to, to, to pay the bills. They're not sitting in, you know, in a, in a podcast having a discussion about this stuff. No, they don't, no, they're not. They don't have the chance to. So you're, the, the system is set up so that people don't even have the ability or the opportunity to be aware of what's going on because life's so fucking difficult. Yeah. You know, we don't, we're not paying, we don't pay people an effective enough wage. There isn't the support system that people need. There aren't the job opportunities that people need. There's not the housing. There's massive, massive inequality issues that, in my opinion, come down fundamentally to class. That when you start to, if you start to address those issues, and you know, perhaps we can get into the policy specifics if you want, but if you start to address those issues, the country is transformed in a few years. But the system suits those in power, the elites in power so much that they're never going to address that stuff and like you're saying what what becomes the alternative it's either like violent revolution and protest that not i, I don't think anybody should want or no. continued march towards some kind of tyranny which is where we're we're heading they can't be the only two options like that's a that's a bad bad position for countries not just this country but countries around the world to to be in so it's it's so bloody important that we start to address this stuff before we get to that point you know i no, think we should... go on no we should never want the society to to be approaching that it's not funny it's not good it's not it's like not funny it's you know, fucking it's... dangerous yeah absolutely it's really dangerous but i think everything again you know god you could you, you could unpack this for days right but because of the political structure we have in place and because they fear disruption to the status quo that benefits them solely, they are taking all of the measures in place to make things as hard as possible for us, right? You see what's happening with energy prices. You see what's happening with the consumer price index. You see what's happening with inflation, with what's happening with the COVID measures and the restrictions being put on our movements and our liberties and our ability to even, you know, earn a decent living. I see, and we'll get into the vaccine mandates in a little bit, right? But all of this is, and again, I've said this on a previous show, but Dominic Cummins, whether you like him or, or, or hate him, right? If anything that he said about what he released about Boris Johnson is true, that is proof positive that they like the chaos. Because whilst, they, whilst the chaos is ensuing, you're looking at all of these other things and you're not focused on the prize. And the prize is the disruption and dismantling and reformation of the political system in a yeah. fundamental way. Yeah, 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 no, I agree. And you look, the coming stuff is a really good point and you know, maybe a segue into, into some of the COVID regulations and the corruption stuff, because yeah. the fact that it had to come, somebody that actively created this or, or helped to create the system and that the, the we're in, particularly with COVID, the fact that they were sacked and then through a vendetta released all of this stuff that everybody in government knew, it, it had to go, come to that point is pathetic. The yeah. fact that that's the sort of country that we live in. Like that is, you know, I think Dominic Cummings is... Uh, a, a, go on, Jack. I, I think he, go on, Jack. No, I, I, I think he's a, he's a weak, um, sort of tragic case of... The kinds of people that are involved in our politics and i think a lot of the glamorized glamorous glamorization if that's a word of you know cummings and the brexit campaign and all of this stuff i think a lot of it is facade and a lot of it is nonsense i think fundamentally what we're looking at with 
people who are in government, particularly on the front benches, is that they are weak, insecure, egotistical, soft individuals who are only out for their own good. They, it's, it's about settling personal scores. It's about benefiting your mates. It's about maintaining the status quo. It, you know, that, that's what they're about. And the, the fact that we don't have opposition parties who are up there confronting that every day is, is pathetic um, in itself. But also that a lot of the truth that we've seen about this government, about whether it's, you know, the COVID regulations or the corruption has come from people leaking information because of the fact that they've been stabbed in the back themselves and yeah. not from work that's been done by the British media. A lot of it has done. I don't know if you're aware of Byline Times. Um, they've done a lot of reporting on the yeah. corruption stuff they're a kind of new um media outlet i would really recommend reading their stuff By, they're fantastic byline times byline times yeah by line times perfect um, i'll check them out yeah they're really good um sam bright is the name of the reporter who has exposed a lot of the um covid procurement stuff the pp procurement scandal okay um, okay they've great. Done a lot of really but there are outlets that, that, that are doing this work, but a lot of it has come from leaks, you know, from inside government because people yeah. are pissed off or whatever. There's a vendetta. Like, it's pathetic. It's, nepotism it's pathetic nepotism doesn't have, like, a start date and an end date, right? It has a start date, right? Yeah, and, that yeah. the, and, that, and that, for these guys, is probably the schools that they go to. But that nepotism is never supposed yeah. to end. And as soon as you stab somebody in, as soon as you wrong a guy, then it's, then it's game over because these guys, all of yeah. these... All of the people that are involved in this system are narcissists. They're weak little narcissists. Mm -hmm. That's it. When everything goes right, it's all they're doing. When everything goes wrong, it's everybody else's fault, right? And there's if no, you, if no you slight a person, no, there's no responsibility. There's no accountability yeah. from any of these people. Yeah. It's always, then, yeah. and this, and maybe we wrap cop because we've gone here, here, and here, and I love it. But maybe to wrap on the cop thing is exactly that. What I heard from the leaders was, you guys need to do more. We need more money to start having the conversation and the plans in earnest, but you guys have to take it upon yourselves to do everybody's fair share. And it's like, that's always the way. Give us more money so we can funnel it into the hands of the people and continue that nepotism on a really smooth journey whilst telling everybody who puts these scumbags in power in the first place that it's all on you guys. You need to do more. Yeah. You need to take accountability. You need to recycle more, drive less, you know, all of this stuff. It's garbage. It's absolute garbage. It's 100%. It's, it's the whataboutery that does my head in. It's, it's the like whataboutery. That's, that's it. Yeah. This two-job thing, right, you know, that's, that's come out. And, like, we've known for ages that politicians have, like, jobs on the side it's yeah. you know they 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 this viewpoint that, f that people in this country should be able to live on um wherever it is 50 pounds a week but also that 80 grand a year isn't enough for an mp to be able to live on to do their job you know there, there are politicians in this country that hold that view at the same time it's so funny it's amazing it's amazing um, <laughs> it's like oh yeah i i've got three jobs and i lobby for companies and i benefit companies based on those jobs and i use my parliamentary office to have meetings about um you know anti-back gel that the government should be adopting for the nhs but, yeah. but but this person did it as well this but you know this there was a labor politician that did it like yeah that, that's wrong too but it doesn't yeah. excuse what you've done you know take some fucking responsibility for your actions for once in your life absolutely <laughs> absolutely it, dude it's, it's the lack of leadership, the lack of individual responsibility, you know, the lack of personal ownership 
It's the lack of self-awareness of of the absolute hypocrisy of the things that they say. Yeah, but a lot of these individuals have never been confronted about this kind of thing in their life. That's the problem. So they believe that they can just act with impunity, like 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 we said. So, but also there's nothing stopping them from acting with impunity. Exactly, and I think that we're starting to see that. Like the the um, Owen Patterson thing was the, the best example. You know, it's like so funny to watch. <laughs> just to encapsulate this, right? This is the investigation has been going on for two years. Independent committee runs this investigation. They find that he was using his position um, as a member of parliament um in a corrupt manner you know he's got two jobs by two companies he's paid 200 grand a year by these two companies um and he was using his position as an mp to lobby on behalf of those companies profoundly corrupt obvious to anybody that that shouldn't be allowed not only did the government back him completely to the hill they went to overhaul the entire system to protect him the entire investigation system to protect him then when they were criticized backtracked on it after they had put Alok Sharma in like for t- about 24 hours, Alok Sharma straight was arguing after the decision was made and after that vote was pushed through that it was the right thing to do. And then the next day they U-turn fully on it and expect people to just pat them on the back. Yeah, we've, we've seen the error of our, our ways and it's right that we, re- we have these things constantly under review and we're able to change our minds. It's like, do you think we're that, are we that thick that we can't see through that? We are, not, <laughs> not we, not we. But some people are because they'll just say they'll say, oh, okay, whatever. They'll pay no mind to it. They'll pay no mind to it. That's what these governments do, Jack, in in my opinion, is they push they push two steps forward. They get the resistance. So they take one step back. Ultimately, they're still one step ahead of where they were. And if they do that multiple times over and over again, they get to their end goal. That's what they do. They did. I don't want to jump ahead because obviously we're going to talk about the vaccine uh, mandates and stuff like that. But that's what they did with the vaccine passports. Boris Johnson was on television saying this is not that's not how the UK is run. We are not a country that mandates things like that. And within a couple of months, the conversation escalated to the point where, oh, well, we're looking at it. Oh, okay. well, okay, no, no, no. Okay, here we go. And then it's 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 two steps forward. There's a little bit of pushback. They say, okay, we went too far on that one. And then they wait and then they go ahead with it anyways. And then the news cycle has become so ridiculous and there's a new th- corruption story every day. So you can't, it's impossible to hold them into account effectively for the thing that happened last week. Cause there's like four or five new things that exactly. have cropped up. So you're on that treadmill constantly. So it, it becomes like, it, it's impossible to cover this stuff at, at times. We sit there and we're like, how the fuck do we cover this? Because it's ridiculous. You know, I can't imagine what it must be like to work in political satire or political comedy because you can't nothing is funnier than what is going on nothing is more ludicrous or ridiculous you can't make it up no it's it's absurd that that is the system that we live in well and and talking about um the the graham's it's graham right his name uh what was the guy's name that you were just talking about i always oh well there's two right owen owen patterson owen patterson that's it um i was just gonna say there's also this um uh, like cash for access thing that's been going on as well right and i was doing a little bit of reading about this and what's the guy's it's not bill elliott or something like that uh he's the chairman of the tory party right or the co-chair of the of the tory party what's his name do you know his name Mm -hmm. um is it bill elliott or ben 
It's Ben Elliott. That's what ben it is. Elliott. Ben, yeah, Ben Elliott. So Ben Elliott is the co-founder, uh, the co-chair of the, of the Tory Party and yeah. their main fundraiser. Okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah. yeah, and he is now. So basically, he runs a company called Quintessentially. Okay, Quintessentially is a concierge service for rich people. Right. So they called him up. Oh, I need, you know, I need swans at my wife's 50th, right? I can't, I can't yeah. be bothered to do it, but I know she likes swans. Can you sort that out for me? Right. Yeah. This restaurant just told me it was all booked up. Can you get me a table by the window at that restaurant? It's that yeah. sort of service that he provides. Okay. Right. Well, he's also the co-chair of the Tory party and their main fundraiser. Right. Also, he's the nephew of Prince Charles. Right. right. And he's been, he's been setting up these quintessentially clients with an audience with um, Rishi Sunak, Boris Johnson, all these different ministers yeah. for 250 quid, uh, 250K a pop, right? Yeah. Pocket it, change. It, for them, it doesn't matter. But now they're finally looking into it because these rich motherfuckers that have access <laughs> to, the, to these politicians are yeah. going in because they're so capitalistic minded. They're yeah. saying, hey, your policies on Brexit are really fucking up my business. Your policies with COVID are really fucking up my business. Smarten up. And now they're starting to be influenced by these rich donors yeah. facilitated by somebody who is right in the system. And it's no different to the Owen Patterson thing, hey, right? This is the way that things have worked for, for, for decades. Forever. Yeah, it is. You know, like, go back to the tie it into COP. If you're a fossil fuel company, and you are aware of this service and you say, you know, more, more and more discussions are coming up about different regulations to stop us from doing the work we want to do or banning fracking or this kind of thing. 250 grand to them is, is like, it is peanuts. literally it's peanuts. So we go, we'll bone you 250 grand and we'll go for a dinner and we'll say, Rishi, look, we're so happy with the work you're, you're doing at the moment. You're doing such a fantastic job. The, the one thing that we were concerned about is, uh, you know, this new, legislation that was was coming up it's going to be pretty pretty bad for us and uh, you know maybe you should revisit that and this is what we would do instead and we'll work with you to develop this so you can work work alongside business otherwise we might have to make your life a little bit more difficult with the kind of support and the donations and all of this stuff it's it's, it. it's inherently corrupt it's and do you know what they call do you know what this guy this ben elliott calls this it's well, called well, an advi it's called an advisory board right okay like just uh, it's, it's called an advisory board but the, the but, but the people who meet in it right so let me just find this real quick because it, this example is hilarious um so it's, yeah, it's like it's an advisory board but it's an, you could be part of our advisory board if you pay x amount of, of money to be able to, to access it and then you can influence policy directly influence but, policy. but they but they categorically say that none of the meetings affect policy decisions yeah right so no 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 it's just because they want to have dinner with them Right. They just want to have yeah. a bit of a, of a chin wag with them, just a friendly little bit of banter with them. That's what they claim it is. But it's called the fucking advisory board. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's so transparent. It's so, it's so transparent. transparent. So, dude, Look there is. Uh, so let me give you this example. Right. Because I read okay. this on a, uh, this is on YouGov. 
Um, and this is, I can't remember the guy who wrote the, the, the piece, but basically says this, he says earlier this year, a property developer and donor, Richard Desmond conveniently found himself at dinner sitting next to Robert Jenrick, the community secu- secretary and the minister with the ultimate say over planning issues. Just at the moment when he was about to adjudicate over one of Mr. Desmond's projects within days, Mr. Jenrick had overridden his officials advice and given the project the go ahead. Mr. Jenrick uh, vociferously denied there had been any connection between the dinner and the decision, claiming that the planning application hadn't even been discussed. Doubtless, they had been uh, far too engrossed talking about the relative merits of Burgundy versus Bordeaux, but, <laughs> but, but such was the stench that ensued that Mr. Jenick soon changed his mind and found some PR formula to explain why he had originally misspoken. Uh, it's, it's, it's so transparent dude yeah and it, it is and it's difficult to even put into words how crazy of a situation it is you know because and it, that's the point that we get to it's 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 blatant obvious corruption in any sensible country that person should never be allowed to be in politics again ever robert jeffrey's a fucking idiot anyway he should be nowhere near the decision making processes in this country nowhere near <laughs> the policy creation processes and it's fucking dangerous because you look at somebody like rupert murdoch who has had intimate access to politicians since Thatcher. <laughs> These are individuals who are so powerful that they're dictating a lot of the agenda in this country. You know, what's on the front page of the sun, for example, is often what's informing is what's informing the, a lot of voters, right? Yeah. The sun have backed every winner of an election since, um, you know, since Blair, I think, maybe even earlier. So there's massive power and it informs the way that we look at politics in this country it forms the way that we look at decisions it controls and dictates what we um what we read what we think about what we think is important there's no wonder the country's gone to the dogs for sure and and speaking of absolute incompetence that should be nowhere near the decision-making procedures that affect our country i want to move into if we can, just talking about this vaccine mandate, because sure. Sav- I always get his name wrong. Uh, Savage Javid? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I couldn't care less. Um, <clears throat> obviously, they've come out now, and this this happened, obviously, in Australia first, or France first, Australia, you know, how yeah. they're talking about either, you know, uh, healthcare workers are fully vaccinated or they lose their jobs. And I didn't think that, again, this is one of those, you know, two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back, and, you know, do that process all the way, you know, over and over again, and you're going to get to the goal that you want to get to. What are your thoughts on mandating vaccines for one, but mandating vaccines for, I guess, the healthcare workers specifically, because that's now something that they're being faced with? Yeah. So, <clears throat> complex issue, multi-layered, right, and different opinions based on the category of making it mandatory for me. So I don't agree with mandatory vaccines as a whole. You know, I don't think that people should be forced to, to take the vaccine if they don't want to. I think people should take the vaccine. Um, me too. But I don't think that they should be forced. Uh, the, the difficulty when it comes to frontline workers, and I'm not actually, you know, I'm going to hold my hands up and say that this is something that I've kind of gone to and fro on. I'm not okay. sure what I think about it. Um, is that if you're a, a frontline worker, which is you, you only are going to be mandated to take the vaccine if you have face-to-face contact with patients, and there are three layers of um, exemptions. So 
for religious reasons, for health reasons, and um, yeah, if, if if you're a healthcare worker and you don't have face-to-face -face contact with a patient, they're going to be. I the thought exemption. there was only two. I didn't think the religious exemption was in there. Was it not? I do, I thought oh, maybe it was two, I but I'm, I'm happy okay, to be corrected on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, let's go with that then. So I think that it's probably right that if you're a frontline worker and you have face-to-face -face contact with already vulnerable people and you have a duty of care that you should do everything in your power and it is your job to protect those individuals. Mm -hmm. And I think that taking the vaccine for COVID falls into that category. I'm uncomfortable with man, 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 mandating anything, particularly vaccines. The thing that swayed me on this, so I agree with it, you know, I would say categorically, was you have to take the hepatitis vaccine. That's already been mandated okay. if you're a, a, a frontline worker. And if there's consistency and we say to these individuals, you can only do this job if you're going to do X, Y, Z, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. Okay. I think the problem comes where, and I don't think it's an easy decision. I think it's 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 tough and it's it's complex and it's nuanced. And I understand totally understand the argument against it. I think the problem comes with they've got these they've got until April to be vaccinated, right? Mm -hmm. If there's a mass exodus of staff over this, the health system crumbles. Correct. So is there a plan? And totally respect, major respect to anybody that walks away from their job over this. Is there a plan to replace those staff if there's a massive walkout? There's none, right? The, you know, the, the repercussions of this are perhaps the NHS crumbling if there is a massive walkout. I think it will majorly increase the amount of people that are vaccinated, but um, there's there's big concerns and there's big, you know. Um, things that, that need to be kind of contemplated and, and brought into the decision-making. But fundamentally, I think that if you're a healthcare worker, a frontline key worker, and you're in contact with patients in a situation where many of them are vulnerable, many of them aren't gonna be able to have the vaccine because of pre-existing conditions, and you could possibly save a life because you're, you, you've, you're vaccinated, I think that you probably should do it. Um, How can we not mandate the flu jab? That is a great question, I don't know, because again, and that consistency for me is an issue. Right. Um, many people die from the flu, so it would be logical for me, to, or to me, to say that the flu jab should be mandated for them as well. Right. Um, and again, the, the consistency is the issue, right? That's where yeah. people um, get get confused. So I don't know what the reasoning is. I think that they've, Javid said that they're not going to um, look at mandating the flu jab. I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know how you can make those arguments simultaneously. I think it's probably hypocritical. And yeah. that kind of, um, that lack of logic leaves it open to people questioning your decision and the intentions behind your decision. Um, particularly when so many people are concerned about the vaccine anyway, when I don't think there's been enough education about the vaccine in general and, and how it was developed and the processes that it went through and how it works to reassure people to take it. Um, you leave yourself open to um, to criticism from from that. Uh, so yeah, I, the lack of consistency is a problem, and it's a, a, a horrible position to be in. And 
if we dealt with the pandemic properly in the first place, we probably wouldn't be in this position anyway. 100%. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's difficult. I hope that kind of answers the question. And no, it, it does. I just, again, you know, it's not for uh, you're right or you're wrong, right? It's a conversation. It's a discussion. But I feel that I feel that the measures being taken in these in these steps of mandating certain industries to be yeah. fully compliant or lose loss of earnings, loss of, you know, loss of the ability to feed your family, et cetera, et cetera. I think this is a perfect example of two steps forward, one step back, mm. two steps forward, one step back, because as I said, our prime minister told us they would not be putting anything around vaccine passports, limiting our access based on medical, right? That was never happening. A month or two later, they start to introduce it after the pushback had happened and then calmed down a little bit, right? And then it was it was on to the next thing that we can do to impart our control over the populace because that's that's ultimately how I see this. This right. is this is not about them wanting to solve this problem because I don't think that they want to solve this problem. I don't think they know how to solve this problem and I don't think it gives them any benefit really in solving this problem because mandating a vaccine for healthcare workers is one step away from mandating it for another industry and then another industry and then everybody. So if you're okay with it being mandated, and again, this is just an open question. If you're okay with it being mandated for healthcare workers, are you okay with it being mandated for everybody for the same reasons, a duty of care to protect fellow citizens? The only way it's being, so it is it is being mandated if you want to continue to be a health worker, right? Yes. So you're not saying there are any, it's a form of coercion, but it's like soft coercion. So the, the, the repercussion of you not having the, the, the vaccine or choosing not to have the vaccine is that you you lose your job, right? That's, mm -hmm. it's, it's bad, it's coercion, of course it is. Um, but there are kind of logical reasons behind it, logical enough for me to go, okay, I understand that decision-making and think that it's probably... The right thing to do mm -hmm. mandating it at large um i think is and, and then you know the question is what's the penalty for that you know if you if you don't have it you know what's the the punishment for that if, if that's the kind of hypothetical that we're putting forward is more of a infringement on individual liberty because you're you're it's good I'm, 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 I'm second guessing myself now this is the problem with this this, this is the problem because, you know it's because if you're if you're if you're okay with vaccine mandates for healthcare workers right but you oppose it for the citizens citizenry at large we're creating a mutually exclusive group that are being forced to be mandated into doing something those people are first and foremost citizens they have a right to exist. They have a right to earn a living. They have a right to... They still have that, don't they? Do they? They still have that. They just can't hold that position. Right. So, so you've been in the healthcare system your entire career, some 20, 30 years, right? And now you're being told that if you don't want to put this jab in your arm, that you lose your job. How is that in any way, shape, or form, like, fair, for one, <laughs> two, so, a step away from fascism. What do you think of the seatbelt example? 
So what do you the, mean? I read a piece on this a couple of nights ago. So the argument when uh, seatbelts were brought in were that most of the time I don't need a seatbelt. It's an inconvenience for me to wear one. Um, but the application of seatbelts protects the society at large. So if you believe that the vaccine works and the vaccine reduces transmission and it has efficacy um, and the vaccines traditionally have eradicated many, many illnesses um, and improved society at large, do you think that particularly for certain um, professions where you have a duty of care over people and uh, yeah, you, have, you have a duty of care, you have a duty to protect and you should do everything within your power to be able to do that, that that inconvenience, um, the, the benefits of that inconvenience kind of over, override the, um, the negative attributes. So, you know, I should have the freedom to not have to wear my seatbelt if I don't want to but it's in law that you should wear your seatbelt because we have uh, recognized that that's something that's, that that's a piece of legislation that will save lives. Right. And I think when we look at the seatbelt example, what you can see from the historical rollout of seatbelts and their invention. And I mean, I, I mean, I, I read something or heard somebody talking about the invention of seatbelts and how opposed people were to them fundamentally. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it was just like a fuck that I'm not doing that. Right. At all. For me, the problem the differentiation is between the thing being a product externally versus the thing being an intrusive cocktail that we don't have any long-term data on, right? We have some efficacy data, right? But again, the two steps forward, one step back thing. We were told, take the vaccine, you'll need one dose, and then that'll be it. You're sweet as a nut. Right. So, and then it's like, oh, actually, we, we got that wrong. That's now we need two doses. Right. Yeah. And then you're sweet and then you can do what you like. And then all of a sudden it's like, actually, this thing that we created that we've made everybody take or that we want everybody to take, it lasts for about six months. Then you're going to need a booster. Right. Is okay. your opposition to it, the, the, the mandating specifically, is your opposition to it the lack of transparency or the yeah. actual? Right. So if they would have said from the outset that, you know, if they hadn't have said, no, we're not going to mandate it, they, if they'd said, we are going to mandate this as soon as the vaccine is there, NHS workers have to take the vaccine, would you have less of a, an issue with it? No. Right. Okay. It's the mandate. Right. It's the mandate. Right. It's the fact that they can implicitly just say, it's like when they were releasing the lockdown laws, right? They were audacious enough to say, we're giving you your freedoms back. You don't have the right to take them away in the first place. This is a huge issue. Though, wasn't it? That was always what? bollocks. That they were giving us our freedom. Like that was propaganda nonsense in my in my view. Um, that they Expand were like, on giving, it for you know, me. Expand on it for me. So you know when lockdown ended and they, they dubbed it Freedom Day or Super yeah. Fucking Sunday or whatever yeah. it was. Yeah. That was that was about like that was about bumping up the, the government in in the polls. I think most people understood. No, but what I'm talking about is what they were saying, not the Freedom Day slogan, of course. Right. Yeah, absolutely propaganda, right? Uh, they so it, was, were, it was the attraction of freedom, the fact that the government- They were the saying, you cannot do this. As a citizen of this country, you cannot interact with your neighbors or your family or go to this place or travel to here. You can be outside for an hour a day to exercise. You can't do anything to solve your mental health problems, but we'll let you walk you know, and if, you, if you're walking in the wrong manner, you could get a 10,000 pound fine. We're going to give you all that freedom back now. 
We're gonna we're gonna remove all of those things we told you you couldn't do, and you could be penalized for them. Right? This is a this is another step forward in terms of that control policy that they're putting right. in place. For so me, you think that's fundamentally what it's about. It's about control and coercion. One hundred percent. I think, particularly when it comes to the, the lockdown case, I think the argument for for lockdowns and like I think we should have locked down sooner and I think we should have locked really? down harder for less. Because I, I think the lockdowns did absolutely fuck all. Well, I think the lockdowns in the way that we did them. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. So uh, what I would have wanted was as soon as the virus hit like Italy, you know, when it was like decimating through Italy, what yeah. I would wanted to have, have seen would was for us to shut the borders, don't allow people in, control the country. We're an island. We're perfectly positioned to be able to handle this kind of thing. 100% and eradicate it absolutely and then the country can start to get back to like they did in new zealand like the country can start to get back to some semblance or not even get back to but the country can continue on you know sort of functioning without the need to have to do that the problem that we had and the problem the government had was that indecisiveness element so they weren't strong enough to say we're going to do this these are the reasons behind doing this and this is what we're going to do we're going to update you every day on our decision making process and, and, and what we're thinking and we're going to get this over with as soon as we possibly can what did um, what were they, they saying? There's nothing that we won't do to stop this from happening. There's no amount of money that we won't put out to support people. It's all nonsense. It's all nonsense. Just like so we that, were, just like we were overtly prepared to deal with anything that came our way. We were stocked yeah. and ready to go. We had, the, you know, the, we had the war chest of supplies and and everything like that. And it was three weeks to flatten the curve. Yeah, and that inability, the inability to be able to control the virus effectively from the start. Don't forget, the the policy was herd immunity. The policy was no. let's let as many people as possible get this and then we'll be okay it, against all the scientific advice that the government was getting at the time boris johnson's thought was we'll just let people get it if old people die we don't care you know that that's that's what we'll do and it didn't work and then they had to backtrack and then they weren't strong enough to say we're going to enforce a really strict lockdown for a limited amount of time support people financially effectively enough so that they can they can you know support themselves um, and then get the country back on its feet. We're still contemplating a lockdown in at Christmas. I know. The virus hasn't gone away. I just and put a 50 quid bet on my mate that it's definitely happening. You reckon? 100%. What kind do you think will, will happen? I think what? it'll be like a level, uh, I think like it'll be like a level, th like a le level three lockdown kind of thing. Like, you know, yeah. just before we got all of our freedoms and liberties back, just before we were out of that part, I think they're going to yeah. stick us back in that part. They're going to tell people, if you can work from home, you absolutely should be working from home. You should minimize how many times you go to the shop. You should minimize yeah. the interaction with people who are not in your household. If you get a, a positive test, you probably have to isolate. I think that sort of measure is going to come back yeah. in probably so think, at the end of this month. Yeah. So like, like I say, I, I, I um, you know, fundamentally don't have an issue with lockdowns as, as a, a way of controlling the, the pandemic um, from the start. But the way that they've been applied, I think has been a, a disgrace. And yeah. the toying with people's freedoms is a massive issue because that's not something that any government should take lightly at all, ever. Because governments do have the power to be able to do that. Legislation does give, give governments sure. the power to be able to do that. And that's a, that's a huge responsibility to say to people, we are going to take away some of your liberty to be able to protect people and if you believe that which i do if you're going to take that decision you need to give effective reasons behind doing it convince people that it's the right thing to do and not take the piss and that's what the government have done consistently 
um, in so many ways, not just with that decision making. And continue to do that, in my yes. view, with how they're starting to now go further with the mandating of who has to take these in order to survive, in order to provide a living for their family. My, my problem with, again, you know, the litany of issues I have with mandates is it never stops, right? Government doesn't give back power, right? Once they've got it, they tend to keep it, right? That's the authoritarian nature of a narcissist, mm -hmm. right? They don't like to relinquish power that they've then got in within their grasp. They like to keep a hold of that. And so what we're seeing here is a mechanism of how can we can continue to control because we're, as a society, Jack, what are we, 80% fully vaccinated now? Like, yeah, what double dose? I'm not sure actually what the number is, but it's, it's enormous. The amount, yeah. the amount of people that are double jabbed is enormous, right? But the efficacy of these vaccines is such that we're still seeing massive cases. We may not be seeing the amounts of death, but again, if we look at the statistics around the deaths, then that provides us a profile with who is most vulnerable to succumb to a virus like this, right? My problem is the vaccines have a certain efficacy that can be debated. Some people are saying it's as low as 45% now, right? Really, really poor. They're saying that the, well, I mean, the booster forget that conversation altogether the boosters going nowhere near me right and really? i'm double i'm double jabbed right so i'm double jabbed but that's it that's the line i've drawn the reason really? i got the reason i got double jabbed is because i want to be able to travel abroad because my wife's mother lives in portugal we haven't been there in a long time so there's this you know there's that family aspect and that mental health aspect that's really really important to me so i said okay i'm not gonna the hill i'm gonna die on is not going to be one where I'm going to, you know, try this kind of experimental drug, right? So I did it. No side effects. Absolutely fine. I have not had a flu shot in probably 25 years. I do not intend to be sticking COVID medicine in my arm every single year going forward once or twice a year. I'm not doing it. There's absolutely no reason. And, the, and, and the, the, the reason that I say that is because this conversation, since the inception of COVID, there has never been a conversation about getting the health of the nation right. There are, mm. comorbidity, there are comorbidity factors here that can really be instrumental to boosting your immune system so that you can have an easier time if you were to contract this, right? So let's take into account the fact that I'm double jabbed right? Well, I'm also 40 years old, right? So I'm just on that precipice of like, you know, kind of being in the older generation that becomes more vulnerable to this disease. But I exercise five days a week, right? I take a pharmacy's worth of vitamins every single day. And I think I've had COVID twice. Really? I think I've had COVID. I think I had COVID at the, um, I think it was the beginning of March last year when it all started, because there was a time, it was like a few days where I was a bit under the weather and it didn't really seem like a flu, let's say, right? And then there, were a, there was a period of a day and a half where I felt off in myself. And I know how I feel, right? I'm pretty in tune yeah, with yeah, kind yeah. of how my body is. And there was, a, there was a day and a half after I was vaccinated 
where um, not not directly after I was vaccinated, but after I'd been vaccinated some some time after that, where I felt a bit off. And I was like, well, I'd been out, I'd been mingling, so it was possible, right? I took a test, but those lateral flow tests are garbage, right? They don't work. Um, and, and it gave me a negative result anyway. So I don't know. But my point is, rather than mandating a drug, another drug, because that's what we do in Western society, right? We, we, we put a Band-Aid over the problem rather than going to the root cause of the problem. Why not mandate exercise? Why not try to mandate physical fitness? Why not try to mandate health rather than mandating medicine? I think it's a really good point. I, I think that I would, my argument would be, let's do both of those things. That would be my, my argument. You know, there are some people within society who, you know, for whatever reason, can't have that level of fitness. They can't take that many supplements. And but there's the also vaccine... that uh, there, but there's also an, a, a, an amount of people in the society that cannot take this vaccine. I agree. I agree. So do so, they get left out? Yeah. Like we're creating exemptions for people who might get really fucked up by the vaccine. Right. Because they've yeah. got underlying conditions that, you, you know, would, would give them an adverse reaction to it. So they get an exemption on medical reasons because they're because they're vulnerable already to this vaccine, but people can't have an exemption if they're effectively healthy and don't need to stick drugs so, in their body. They, they, they do at the moment, right? They do at the moment have the ability to have an exemption because you can just not get vaccinated. That's fine. You can't do that under law. Not if, but not if I work in the NHS. Sure. Uh, not if you're a frontline yeah, NHS worker. I think that um, the answer to me, and, and obviously with a lot of these issues, is that there's, there's a multitude of ways to, um, you know, to, to work around these these issues. 100%. We're an unhealthy society, and health needs to be far, far, far more. Um, well, we, we need to deal with the fact that there's an obesity crisis in this country, that many people have underlying health conditions because of their lifestyle. Um, that comes through, you know, giving people the proper education, ensuring people can um, earn enough money to be able to feed themselves effectively and properly. All of that stuff is really important. And then, so do we? Do, but do we have the? Do we have the ability as a, as, as a community to have a logical conversation that just looks at data? Right? There are outlying circumstances that say a healthy so and so got COVID and died from it, or got COVID and got really sick from it. But yep. the absolute overwhelming majority of people who get really bad covid really bad symptoms they're generally in this category it's true but getting the vaccine isn't just about protecting yourself is it so like the, the argument that i would put forward for why i'm vaccinated in i'm in a category that is incredibly unlikely to die from covid exactly. not only yep. because of, like, i'm 24 years old but i'm incredibly active um don't have any underlying health conditions have never really had health problems in my life I don't want to give it to somebody, you know, mm -hmm. I want to protect as, as a society. I think it's important that we have that kind of focus of, you know, uh, protecting e each other and the vaccine from the evidence that I have seen and the, the arguments that I've heard and the information that I've taken in is that the vaccine does that. Um, so, you know, that's, that's another reason why I'm vaccinated. Both my parents have had COVID in the last two weeks. It's been rough. Really? Yeah. Yeah. They've really struggled. Um, my mom, particularly. I, and I've, and, I and are they double jabbed? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, so they're double jabbed. They're in a yeah. vulnerable. I don't want to mean to cut you off. I just want to break it down, unpack it. So they're both uh, presumably uh, in that sort of vulnerable age category. Early fifties. 
Okay. Okay. So early fifties. So uh, uh, up the scale a little bit in, in terms of the vulnerability, they've both been double jabbed. They both contracted COVID again, and they both got and they both suffered with it badly. Why'd they get vaccinated? Because otherwise they'd be dead effectively. Maybe who knows? I I think probably at least one of my parents would have been in hospital if they hadn't been vaccinated. How Um, are they health wise within themselves? Are they, do they follow a similar lifestyle as you? Yeah, maybe not as rigorous. Like I ran a half marathon a couple of weekends ago. Maybe they're not like uh, to that level, but um, we eat. But you would consider them healthy? Exercise, yeah, yeah. Um, If they hadn't have had the vaccine, fuck knows what condition they'd be in. But also, do they do they have any underlying conditions themselves? They don't. Okay. Um, I I haven't caught it. Right. We don't live in a big house. It's not. It's pretty difficult for us to keep a, a distance. I don't know whether the vaccine has had something to do with that. We've been pretty sensible um, with what we've we've done. I haven't contracted the virus. I haven't contracted the virus at all. I think that PPE has been, um, you know, important in that. I've masked up in public places and been sensible and washed my hands and that kind of thing. Yep. I live a, a healthy lifestyle and look after myself. There's loads of stuff that we can do to to kind of mitigate against these factors and you're right in, in terms of not being able to have a sensible discussion about and give over you know effective reasons i think every reason that you have outlined about not getting the booster is i can respect that i could totally respect that and i think that it's important that as a society that we don't force people to take decisions over things that or we don't yeah mandate for people to, to, to do things like that, that we convince people that it's the right thing to do, that we, we right. educate Right, because you got to win hearts and minds, right? By by evidence and data and and by and by honest sentiment and honest evidence and honest yeah. analysis of what these medicines are rather than, you know, like what Pierce Morgan's been doing today, right? Posted a, posted a picture of himself getting the booster jab and then called anti-vaxxers a bunch of dumb fucking idiots. You yeah, know what I mean? mean? um at all you know it's not the sort of thing that i'd do but i've got a question about the the mandating go on if somebody if a, a frontline health worker refused to get the vaccination mm-hmm. contracted covid and then mm-hmm. gave covid to a patient who died do you think that they are um relinquishing their responsibility or their duty for, of care it's a great question it's a great question. And there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of nuance around it, but I don't, I don't know, man. It's, it's a tough one. So we're saying, so, so we're saying a healthcare worker refuses to get the vaccine, gets COVID, yeah. gives it to a patient, that patient dies. Yeah. 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 That's a tough one, man. That's a tough one. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's- I, I don't I don't know the answer no, to it. It's, it's hard. It's, I think it's difficult. This is why I've struggled the thing that so much. Trumps, yeah, no, I completely get it. The thing that I guess the thing that trumps it for me, in in all in in all conversations in all um, areas of it, is the individual's right to choose. Yeah. What they do, rather than being told, given the conversation that we've had to this point about the incompetence of government, about the nepotism of government, about the corruption of government, about the dishonesty of government, for those same individuals to have the power to turn around to the people who have kept us safe, who we were out on the streets every Tuesday night applauding, to then turn around without giving them so much as a valid, you know, useful raise 
and for their contributions and for their 18 hour days that they were working triple masked and all of the rest of the thing for then these incompetent bureaucrats who pay for or get paid for audience for that you know all of the things that we've talked about they can come down and they can say hey you you either do what i'm telling you you don't get a choice in the matter or you lose your job yeah i am so pro liberty and so pro government staying the fuck out of my business that i i reject why okay so let me throw it to you this way if the government was so is so absolutely dead set on the health of the nation why can we still buy cigarettes yeah they question. don't give a shit about our health jack <laughs> i think if they wanted to give us if they wanted to really show us that they cared about our health they would be prioritizing health and fitness they would be banning the most dangerous substances on the planet i can go to my shop as soon as we hang up this call and i can buy a bottle of vodka this big i can buy a carton of cigarettes i can ingest them all and i can go back albeit if i can walk <laughs> i can go back and i can do it again or i can pass out here and i can wake up the next morning and i can do it again and i can so, do it over and over and over and over yeah and i think the argument for that is that individuals should have the right to be able to put in their body what they want to put in their body right absolutely so, including medicine yeah but it's difficult and i think that the the, the thing for me the, the situation for me and this is why i don't know is that i think fundamentally we shouldn't even really be having to have this conversation because COVID should now be at the point where we're having to force people to get the vaccine because of, you know, because it's still that much of a threat. You know, it really, we really shouldn't be at that point. Um, but I think the tides on these mandates and these, and these willy nilly kind of, you know, throwing, you know, throwing these ultimatums at people. I think the tide on this is shifting. Like if I look at what's happening in Australia and New Zealand and America, well, the, the Australia stuff is a different kettle of fish because the, the way that they've been dealing with COVID has just been fucking bonkers. Yeah. You know, like that's a, I think that there are, there are levels to this and I genuinely can't see the UK getting to that, that point um, with how stringent they've, they've been. I don't think that, I think there's fundamentally different cultures and I can't see, you know, look at the amount of people that refuse to use the track and trace thing that, you know, hundreds oh, yeah. of millions of pounds were wasted on. We just, we don't, we don't do things like that, like in, in that way in this in this country. Um, we don't. We don't right now. Sure, and I I, I have faith that we we wouldn't get to that point. I really. And I'm a little bit that. more I'm a little bit more yeah. cynical than that. I think, yeah. I, and I think that's probably just a difference of opinion between yeah. you, you know you you and I. But I think you know, I I, tr I truly think that's where they're trying to get us to. Right. They're trying to get implicit control over us. I, I don't think, know what they. I don't. I don't know what this government like think about it from a decision-making perspective i don't know what sure. they get they would gain from that control yeah but if, to what social end? scoring right social scoring i don't think this so so again maybe tinfoil hat a little bit i don't know right what's happening in china i think western governments are looking at and saying we want some of that we want to be able to control people 
we want to be able to control their movements. We want to be able to tell them when they've been good boys and girls and when they've been bad boys and girls. So we can allow them access to things. And if they comply, they get access. And if they don't comply, they don't. I think this is what is because maybe you've heard me talk about this on an, on a previous episode, but this world economic forum, this, um, this, uh, kind of, rollout of the United Nations digital passport, the great reset that the, that the World Economic Forum talks about, right? And in their promo video, they say, we're rebuilding the future where you'll own nothing, you'll have no privacy, and you'll love it, right? It's this kind of bullshit that they're, and, and again, I can send you the links on Twitter if you haven't seen it yourself, but, you know, I think that they are actively rolling us into a social scoring system and into a control mechanism society that is based around these different pieces that they're currently putting in place right now, right? Health is one. Do me a favor. After this, go and look at the United Nations Digital Passport Initiative. Okay. Okay. And then let me know what you think on Twitter about it, because what they're effectively trying to do is they're rolling this out for United Nations employees now. It's got your travel data in it. It's got your medical data in it. It's got your um, social data in it. It's got your educational data in it. It's got your um, uh, it's got your employment history in it. It's got everything. And the way that they frame it is, well, if you leave the United Nations and you go to another place, we can just zip and zap all that stuff over there, and then you're all you're you're all sweet and ready to go. It's simplification, right? But it's not. These are control dials. Because if they know every single thing you do, they remove your ability to be an individual because they can turn the dials at their will to manifest the decisions and the outcomes that they want. That's where I see this being so the end goal for them. It, I, I don't know enough about it to comment and I will, I'll take a look and I'll let you know what I think because it's sure. really, I find this stuff really, really interesting. Where I see that happening is um, with tech, technology companies, large conglomerates with advertising, with yep. you know tracking data through analytics tools facebook cambridge analytica this kind of stuff controlling mm -hmm. patterns i don't know what the thought process of the world economic forum is internally as to why this thing is a good idea what i do know is that facebook are collecting data and, and compiling data profiles on individuals to sell to um companies corporations governments in order to influence voting patterns and voting behaviors like yeah. th there is evidence behind that stuff that is all happening we know that this stuff is going on so it's not beyond the realms of possibility um there are corporations that are doing this stuff at the moment as we speak you know um I, yeah Brexit. i can send you i can send you a bunch of info on this um from from so these technology yeah, it's, it's companies not i don't Go on. yeah I, I don't i don't know to what extent that this is is occurring and this is going on and to what extent that um governments are, are involved i don't i, I don't know I can't no. speak to that. And, and maybe i'm maybe i'm four steps too far ahead again with my tinfoil hat on who knows only time will tell right but what i see i guess what you can infer from things when you're being told you don't have a choice and the alternate to not doing what they tell you to do is loss of uh loss of living standards loss of wage loss of uh the ability to support yourself as an individual leads me to believe that the the control mechanisms around what they're doing is for a bigger purpose because right. when will when will they say when when will covid be done 
right? When will COVID be done? So are we saying that every person that starts to work for the NHS going forward will have to be vaccinated and have to be put on a booster program or they don't get to be in our health service? Like you said earlier, if that's the case, our health service is going to collapse. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, yeah, again, and it's interesting. And I think that when we're having conversations about the future of the, the country, the future of, of kind of, you know, the world, I suppose, mm. these these conversations need to be had. It's like, what sort of society do you want to live in? Yeah, exactly. Um, and I just go back to Orwell. Yeah. You know, if we if we look at Orwell and, and you know, whether it be, you know, 1984 or whatever. Like, I think... I, I would say it's an easy time to be drawn into that kind of thinking. And I, I agree. You know, I, I think that perhaps it's not as, I think that it's incredibly difficult to imagine that there's something that large scale occurring that would be able to be applied to the Western world in that way. Really? I, I, yeah, I think so. Um, Interesting. That would, that's my kind of uh, instinct. I think when you've got a billion people plus already in one and we live in a, you know, we live on a planet now that 2020, you and I can have a conversation like this and North Korea is a real thing. Sure. I, th- I think somebody said it and I don't know who it is. Somebody <laughs> said, if you, if you think you'd be charismatic to, uh, if you think that you would be impervious to deny a charismatic dictator and wouldn't fall foul to, you know, a Hitler or whatever, a, a Mao or, or somebody like this. If you think that you would be impervious to their charm, hmm. just look at the world, right? Sure. Because I, I right now, 57% of the entire global population is being governed by non-democratic governments. Yeah. But I, yeah, I know I, it's, it's an issue for sure. The, the, the authoritarianism is on the rise globally, populist for sure. kind of sentiment around the world, increased control. Um, this kind of stuff is on the rise. There's no doubt about that. But to the extent and how organized it is, I don't know. I don't know how organized it is. Yeah. And, um, and please, please don't get me twisted in, in terms of thinking like this is a cabal of like 15 people at the top that are like, yeah. you know, okay. kind of puppet mastering. I don't think it's like that. Yeah. I think. I think what what I'm what I'm more trying to get to is the fact that looking at the things that we've already talked about today, the corruption, the nepotism, the narcissism, you know, all of these terrible, terrible traits that are infected in all of our leaders, both in this country and, you know, other Western governments, it it stands to reason that the potential expansion of that control would be a goal that could serve their purposes further so i look at my life and like on the point of you know or not feeling like you could ever um fall under an authoritarian regime like of course you know i'm not that naive to believe that it could never impact me but i look at my life i look at the work that we're doing Mm -hmm. the the stories that we're covering that kind of thing and i think, think what could possibly stop me from doing that would i would i give my life for those values fundamentally that's the the question and i think i would yeah i think i would obviously i've not been put in that position um but i, I think i would you know like we'll, we'll come to the Uyghur stuff um, yeah i want to get on to that in a minute shortly I, I, through that you know the campaign and, and doing works in working human rights you know the, the human rights area over the last year and a half 
you meet people who have been put in that situation and have shown the courage to step away whose family members are currently in concentration camps you know and if they've got the courage to stand up against that in having no autonomy no control no no power when the easiest thing they could ever do is hold their hands up and, and give in i think the least i can do is continue to talk about these things absolutely and not, not anything anything stop me from you know from from doing that so absolutely i don't know who's trying to, who's trying to take control and power away from us as individuals or who's trying to remove that autonomy all i can think and all i can say is that just i'm going to keep doing what i'm doing i'm not going to allow these things to infringe on my freedom as much as i possibly can absolutely talk about them fight back against them and, and have conversations that's that's what we can do that's the power that we have as individuals right and it is that raising awareness and continuing the dialogue to keep yeah. you know whatever these kind of malicious intentions are whether they're there or they're a figment of many's imaginations it's to keep them at bay and keep them you know keep them out of uh, out of any position where they can create momentum Right. And I think when we look at people who, you know, escape the Taliban in the Middle East or they escape North Korea, like you and me park, you know, and comes to America, the reason that these people can at least like some iota of that ability to stand up to that and to make a break from that is because there are places like the UK and like America. And that's why I take that's why I take it so seriously and, and try to think about it as, as I do is because once those bastions of hope are gone, then there is no place to escape to. You don't get to go and live a life in the land of the free anymore, right? Because when you start to mandate people's behavior and people's access to things, you are on a slip, in my opinion, you're on a slippery slope towards a version of that and i, I want to see this. like you i want to see that yeah. nowhere near our society and that's why i speak about them for sure and i think particularly with the vaccine mandates you know we, we ran a couple of polls on this well really a few polls over the last few weeks since it's been okay. really news about nhs workers and you're, you're not alone mate a lot of people <laughs> have the same concerns the same issues so you know regardless of what your view is on, on vaccinations, we have to listen to people. We have to listen to what their concerns are. Um, and there are justifiable reasons behind people's concerns and they need to either be, um, well, they need to be t listened to and, and, and those individuals need to be represented and they need to, there needs to be proper explanations behind why these things are, are happening and why, you know, and, and transparency um, and accountability behind this stuff. And that's what there is at the moment. So that's what leads I agree. to those areas. No, I agree. I agree. It's, I agree. It's a great point. Um, listen, I want to I want to get to this. Um, I want to get yeah. to this China. I want to get this China issue because we've been we've been going for about two hours. This is, know, yeah. this, this is my kind of jam. That's my kind of <laughs> jam. Um, but I know this that this is a um, I know this is a subject that's like really near and dear to your heart. I've seen the activity that you've been doing supporting the individuals, uh, which you'll I'm sure you'll go on to mention in a moment. Yeah. Um, but it's really a, a it's really an issue that needs to be put on more people's radars because i've mentioned this i i was actually it's funny enough because I, I was mentioning us doing this conversation to a colleague yesterday and we were at the pub for lunch and as we were walking back to our office there's a uyghur restaurant in central london and yeah. i said i've never i've walked by this place a hundred times easy never noticed it 
never noticed it. Yeah. But it was funny how I, it, it was almost like a kismet moment to kind of raise some awareness about yeah. because he was like, because he couldn't pronounce it. The right. kid could he couldn't pronounce it. He was like, yeah, what's yeah, a yeah. UI? What's a UI word? Like, yeah. <laughs> like right? And just because he had no reference for yeah. it, right? And so I was telling him a little bit about what's going on. And he was skeptical. He was like, no, 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 no. Surely, surely that. I said, mate, I've got a, I've got a really good friend who lives in Taiwan who's been on the show before, who has done business in the region and all around mainland China. Yeah. And it's not only is it, not only is it going on, it's way worse than anybody knows. Yeah. And when you mentioned it to me, when we were talking back and forth on Twitter, I said they have perfect opportunity because you've got firsthand experience dealing with victims in this. I've got secondhand information based on, you know, what my friend is, has told me that he's seen and that he's, you know, heard himself from other people in the region. And then I've got that third hand information, which I've read that's sourced from somebody else. But I really want to take the time and and, and let you just kind of speak on some of the activities that you've been doing cool. uh, with the with and around this Uyghur situation in China and and I mean we can call it for what it is it's a genocide it's a con it's a concerted effort yeah. you know and, and a and a manufactured genocide that is um that, that is going on over there but for people who don't know you may be able to say it more eloquently than I can can we give a top-down view of what's going on there and then get into some of the things that you've been dealing with on it yeah, absolutely. Um, and I appreciate you giving me the time to, to speak about it because it is so important. It's important uh, man. So you should go to the Uyghur restaurant, by the way, because the food is unbelievable. We can go to incredible. Um, so for those that don't know, the Uyghur Muslims are a, a Turkic minority community that um, live in the uh, Western region, the Xinjiang region of, of China. It's often re referred to as East Turkestan as well. Yes. Um, and uh, they're a, a minority community that, you know, um, for a long period of time have kind of been uh, persecuted, persecuted against, but has particularly um, over the last 15, 20 years become kind of more concerted, um, a more concerted effort. Uh, and it, it, it began, there were a, a series of terrorist incidents um, and the the kind of crackdown and persecution towards the Uyghurs particularly started after these these kind of these incidents. Um, Uyghurs haven't had the same rights, and there's been lots of Uyghur groups who have kind of stood up for Uyghur rights um, in in the region. That has led to the Chinese Communist Party cracking down pretty harshly and infringing on rights increasingly. So it started off between with the sort of segregation of, of society, forced labour, imprisonment setting up of re-education camps um, or so-called re-education camps their concentration camps um, torture um, abductions murder violent rapes sexual assault um, forced abortion forced sterilization some of the most horrific crimes against humanity be committed um, to the point now where there are up to three million Uyghur people interned um, in in camps in uh, in China now, not not just Uyghur people that are being persecuted against other minority groups um, have been as well, not to the, the same extent as the Uyghurs. And this has gained traction over a, over a period of time, thanks to the courage and bravery of the the Uyghur people and, and the Uyghur communities across the the world. Many Uyghur people have fled 
um, from the region um, have left family members after family members have been abducted. Um, many of them haven't seen or heard from any of their family for years. They can't contact family in China, even if they know of their numbers, because if you contact a family member, your that, that family member will be put into a, a camp. Um, so, you know, we've seen kind of mass displacement and through that and through the, the continued genocide, incredible campaigns have been set up um, around the, the world to sort of fight against this. So um, the World Uyghur Congress, um, I would say the World Uyghur Congress, the campaign for Uyghurs and stop Uyghur genocide in this country have particularly pushed the, uh, the calls forward to the point where we're now starting to see not only the, the persecution be recognised, but also governments kind of doing a little bit more in order to get justice for the Uyghur people. So um, what the campaign has, has started to do is, is set up conversations within governments, within parliaments to recognise the genocide. And when, when a genocide is recognised, you have the obligation, the responsibility to protect and the obligation to do something about um, what's, what's going on. Um, the, the UK parliament, recognized voted to recognize the the genocide um the us parliament have done so the canadian parliament have done so um various parliaments in europe have done so as well and what we need to see now is the kind of disruption of supply chain sanctions towards not only the ccp but also to individuals who are directly involved so there's something called magnitsky sanctions that can be applied to individuals that sort of freeze individuals assets stop them from traveling stop them from working in different right. countries um that will start to hopefully see some kind of justice for um for the uyghurs but what has um happened because of the amount of forced labor and the reliance on china in the global economy is that um slave labor and forced Uyghur labor has now become um a massive massive part of uh world of global supply chains and we are all without knowing it kind of implicated in this genocide the largest genocide since world war ii um that is is being persecuted so if you purchase anything from china um more often than not depending on, on obviously the uh the region that it comes from that that would would have been created by um slave labor forced Uyghur, forced Uyghur labor particularly cotton 80 percent of the world's cotton comes from the xinjiang region um you know, so a lot of clothes, um, a lot of corporations are wrapped up in this knowingly. Um, so, you know, anywhere from Nike to most high street fashion brands use this, this cotton. Yep. Um, a lot of uh, tomatoes are kind of, you know, it's another. So high tomatoes, uh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so a lot of products, you know, will, yeah, will come from that area will be will be from from this labor so um i mean it's it's maybe to talk about some of the the ind individual stories um and uh and we're back little technical issue yeah, there so but we're all, we're, we're all to, sorted um, yeah sorry sorry about that i just wanted to touch on um some of the individual stories as well maybe anyway, it's such a, a large it's difficult to encapsulate just the scale of what is occurring and i think that when you try and picture three million people incarcerated in camps in this you know kind of forced forced labor forced forced sterilization all these things going on it's, it's difficult to picture and that's why i think um 
it's sometimes met with skepticism in the sure. in this day and age with the technology available and kind of global accountability mechanisms which we'll get to in a second it's difficult to really picture just how horrific this this stuff is so there's a couple of stories that i wanted to touch on and something that's been incredibly powerful for us to be involved in not only in the parliamentary campaigns and meeting people from the Uyghur community meeting survivors meeting individuals like a, a lady called Rahim Amut who um is one of the, the Uyghur lead leaders in the UK incredible person um she uh meeting people like her meeting people in the Uyghur community at the Uyghur tribunal which is occurring which was set up to um provide a place to hear evidence on what is um currently going on um what is currently being perpetrated for uh Uyghurs to come and give evidence to come and tell their stories for former guards for academics and researchers um, and leaders of organizations and an independent panel um is then has, has been set up to pass judgment on on what is occurring so is this crimes against humanity? Is do they believe a genocide is is occurring? And then to recommend um, the steps for governments to take. And the reason that that is so important is because China, that the two accountability mechanisms for uh, an organisation committing genocide um, are the International Court of Justice and the um, United Nations Human Rights Court. The China has veto power over the, the UN Court for Human Rights. So accountability can't be met through, 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 through the UN. Um, and it doesn't recognize the uh, International Court for Justice, um, the ICJ. Uh, so you can't meet, uh, you can't have accountability through there because they don't recognize um, that the court exists or it, is, it has any kind of sovereignty. So this is why an independent tribunal is so important. And through that, there's a few stories that um, that we heard directly from individuals who had been in, in camps. And the first was a gentleman who um, had been tortured in one of the, the camps. Um, this was actually the first piece of evidence given in the first hearing. And he brought with him the chains that were, that had been used, the same chains that had been used to keep him um, imprisoned. And he put them on heavy heavy metal chains chain links um, yeah clamped to his ankles clamped to his hands forced to um move around to live in, in in these in a cell with multiple other people we're talking eight to twelve people per cell without a toilet often um particularly in the older camps um systemic torture something the use of something called the tiger chair i'm not sure if you're aware of the tiger chair it's just this horrific um sort of metal chair that, that clamps your feet your arms and your body in an incredibly uncomfortable position um and interrogation um is, is done using using this this chair it's a recognized piece of torture equipment you can't you know it's against international law to be able to use it um the, the the vision of this 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 man sort of re reenacting the sort of process that he he went through was you know pretty horrific for the the first thing to see you know during the 
the tribunal, um, a, a lady who was interviewed via, um, you know, sort of video conference, a lot of uh, people gave evidence via video conference, okay. um, who's, she, she had three children. This is maybe, you know, this is pretty horrific stuff, right? So uh, just like a warning for anybody listening, I guess. No, um, it needs to be talked about. It needs to be exposed. Yeah, her, needs, her children. demonstrated. Her, yeah, yeah. It's, her children um, were taken from her. Um, she had uh, three, three children, three babies, um, and they were breastfeeding at the time the the children because obviously they were reliant on the, the their mum were force fed via tubes that were inserted into their necks um one of the children was one of the babies was kept in such horrific conditions that the, the child froze to death um those children have scars on their you know on their necks and this this woman is giving this this evidence and the, just the bravery of these individuals to come forward and tell their story when oftentimes members of their family are still in camps. Um, they're risking their family's lives by coming forward and, and telling these these stories. Uh, as, as this lady is giving this evidence, two of the children come on screen and she's crying. They, they're concerned her. They're standing next to her while she's telling this story. Um, and just the, you know, the bravery of these individuals, um, to be able to go through that anguish and, um, that inhumane treatment to be able to, to then pass that on to a tribunal who are questioning quite forcefully, um, about their experiences, because obviously, you know, somewhat understandably, they need to learn about what is occurring. For them to be able to do that, the courage that they have to show, the bravery that they have to show, um, is you know it's a, a kind of life-altering moment for for those of us who were there to to listen to. Um, once uh, the the Chinese government who refused to recognize to recognize the fact that the tribunal was um, sort of sovereign and was going on was independent, they've smeared it. They said the guy sharing it, Sir Jeffrey Nice, is a MI5 agent. Um, they have said that the people giving evidence are just paid actors. Um, so these individuals that have gone through this process, this, they've escaped or you know, they were released from these re-education camps and have relocated um, are, are paid actors. They're lying, they're making it up. None of this stuff ever happened. And unfortunately, there are many people that believe that that is the case, um, that don't believe the stories of the Uyghur people. Um, Why? And uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think in many of these cases, probably because uh, it's so difficult to picture, like I said, what, what is going on. And there's sure. tons and tons of evidence. There's tons of research. There's satellite evidence. I was going to say, can't you um, see this stuff from space? Yeah, there's satellite imagery um, yeah. and pictures of the camps of people kind of blindfolded or with hoods over their head and chained yeah. up. And there's tons of evidence. Um, but that doesn't stop many people from believing that this is just a smear against the Chinese Communist Party, that these people are actors. And we're talking about 
tens and tens of people that came forward just for this tribunal to give evidence, people that provided witness, witness statements, individuals who haven't seen their family. The fact that they, anybody can believe that this is a concerted effort to discredit the Chinese Communist Party is absurd, absolutely absurd. Um, and the highest form of barbarity to believe that, that anybody would lie about that kind of treatment. Exactly. Um, so what these campaigns aim to do is not only give a, a place for the Uyghurs to be heard, which is the most important thing, you know, for the victims to be heard, but also to get justice um, and lobby governments to be able to, for, for them to take concrete steps. Whilst the British government, to their credit, have done decent bits and bobs to be able to hold, you know, the CCP to account, like voting through Parliament that, that a genocide was occurring, they still refuse to use the term, the government still refused to use the term, um, like individual sanctions to some individuals so, but not everybody so there's a the architect or the the kind of recognized architect of, of the genocide a man named chen Quango. he also um was the sort of architect of the persecution of tibetans as well yes. um and has sort of replicated that process to the, towards the uyghurs just in a far far more um sort of systemic way and evolved uh, he hasn't been sanctioned um, you know, the British government haven't sanctioned him. Uh, they're still seemingly, even though they say they're not, they're still seemingly pursuing different trade deals with China. They won't yep. disrupt supply chains. They won't yep. force companies to not, um, or they won't penalise companies that, that um, have labour that comes from China or purchase stuff from China. So there's a long way to go. Um, we have seen, you know, positive steps to, to, for some concrete action to be done. But unfortunately, um, time's run out you know, in order to do something to stop this from going on. And uh, fundamentally, we're allowing a genocide to, to occur under our watch in, you know, this, this day and age this year. The, the sentiment that never again will we see a genocide, never again will we see a persecution, um, working towards those ends. They're empty words, they're empty yeah. platitudes, unfortunately, because we're allowing this thing to, to happen and go on. So um, it's important that people talk about it more. It's important that something gets done more um, and the Uyghurs can see justice you know, in their lifetimes and they can see their family members again. And um, the people that are per perpetrating this genocide get held to account because it is some of the most horrific crimes imaginable that are occurring. Um, you know, they're two stories of, of you know, millions that, that could be told. Um, yeah, and they're pretty harrowing. And, you know, again, you say they're, they're, they're two stories of, of countless stories. And, you know, I've heard stories similar to those and even more extreme than those in terms of you know some of the ones that don't make it are effectively just you know organ donators uh after that um that they are putting onto the black market and and, yep. and things like that as you say the forced uh sterilization and the forced abortions and you know so on and so forth is just it's the most heinous and, and horrendous thing to picture. And as you said, 2021, we exist in a, you know, we exist in a world where there's so many, there's so many positives, there's so many, you know, great things to celebrate every day. Yet, you know, we can't, we can't be consumed by, by those, you know, by those easy things, by those comforts. Um, when there are, there are such volumes of, of people being subjugated in such a heinous and, and awful way. And, you know, it, it doesn't see, it doesn't, it doesn't take too much 
joining of the dots to see why a country like North Korea can still exist in the world today when they are effectively partnered by China, supported by China, funded by China, you know, the CCP, they are, they're playing a hundred year game. You know, they've always had the hundred year game. They're doing the Belt and Road Initiative. That is their main thing. And it seems to be going on uninterrupted for the most part. And they're, they are now what seems to be exercising the experiment for lack of a better word we call it genocide it's genocide for sure but it's the forced labor element of it that's going to help them manifest the supply chain in the cheapest most profitable way for their own ends as well and you know through that the destruction and the horror stories that you've kind of demonstrated a couple of there are just for the ccp the price of doing business and this is a price that should not be allowed to be set out in the first place. It shouldn't be encouraged. It shouldn't be, it it certainly shouldn't be engaged with, you know, from the supply chain, from the economic perspective, just because we can have cheap and convenient. And, you know, the people that need to stand up to this are the governments of the world for sure, but also the leaders of the industries that are, you know, woven into these supply chains, woven into these manufacturing uh, plants that they have over there, you know, the, the likes of Amazon, the likes of Nike, the likes of Levi's, the likes of, you know, all of these different manufacturers that we could go on and name for, you know, I'm sure the next half an hour easily. Um, it's time for the accountability. And I think social media, to your point that we were talking about earlier, is really is, is really a critical tool that could be used for the benefit yeah. of helping raise awareness about how serious this is. And I hope that there's more visibility on it. I hope there's, there's continued pressure on them. You know, I'm, I'm reluctant to be optimistic about it because of how big China is, because of how into, you know, integrated they are in everybody's lives now. And the fact that, you know, us, America, have basically handed them this position of power through, you know, through our want of convenience, through our want of cheap, accessible products. It just seems that, you know, we've, we've effectively, you know, we've put the tires on the car, you know, that have allowed them to drive these people and these trains to these camps and and allowed them to do these things. And it's, it's just horrific. That's, that's the point though, is that we need to confront the fact that we are part of this Mm -hmm. and we have the responsibility to act and it takes a bit of bravery. Yeah. Of course, nothing like compared to what the people that have decided to talk about it have displayed, but it does to stand up, you know, to, these regimes and, and to, to discuss what is, is going on and actually to take some concrete steps to to hold China to account. Yeah, of course, you know, that does take a bit of, of bravery and it will alter the, the economy and it, there will be repercussions of it um, and it will impact the Chinese people. Um, but what you have to look at is the, the alternative and that is that you allow the destruction of a people and a culture and a history to continue. And that is a, not a price to pay for anything. Correct. Absolutely that is the, right. That is the, the aim of the, the Chinese Communist Party is to, this is a direct quotation, to break their roots and break their lineage. Break the roots of the Uyghur people and break the lineage of the Uyghur people and destroy Uyghur history for the um, all those reasons that you outlined, the continuation of the growth of their economy, this this late, this forced labour. Um, you know, we're seeing like the, the systematic destruction of, of mosques. So it's cultural it's cultural genocide, it's genocide in its, its rawest form because they're 
um, because of the, the, the forced abortions, um, because of the, the torture that has occurred, because of the murder. Um, so it's horrific and it takes the world to stand up and act. And, it is. Uh, and, 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 and it takes it, it. And I don't mean to cut you off, but it, it just takes me back to some of the other things that I've talked about in, in, in relation to China in, in past episodes with, you know, on my own and with uh, with other guests as well. And it, it takes me swiftly back to the NBA and the NBA, um, you know, when the Hong Kong protests were going on. And there was a general manager for the for the team called the Houston Rockets that mm -hmm. spoke out and said, you know, we stand with the people of Hong Kong. Um, and that was it. And the CCP then threw backlash at the NBA to say, listen, you, you better retract that statement and shut your fucking mouth about anything that you say going forward or you'll lose your TV rights. They suspended the TV rights of that team immediately. And yeah. then LeBron James comes out, the biggest figure on the global sports stage, arguably, certainly in, in basketball yeah. and has obviously been told by, you know, the people within the organization, there's too much money at risk here you better go out and make a statement that this GM that stood with the Hong Kong protesters was misinformed. Yeah. Completely whitewashing the whole entire situation for profit. And I hope with, you know, with folks like yourself and, and the commission that's, 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 you know, holding this independent tribunal, I hope that industry can be swayed away from, this cheap, convenient manufacturing supply chain that allows them just to profit and profit and profit, whilst, as you said, there is a systematic cultural and humanitarian genocide going on mm -hmm. just because there is a diff there's a, a effectively a difference with them. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it, you have to, to I, I know people that have been sanctioned you know, I know organizations that have been sanctioned, individuals that have been sanctioned because of the way they've spoken up, but they don't care because they're doing the right thing. And fundamentally, Correct. you have to ask the question, like we came back to earlier, how how much do you believe in your morals? To what point are you willing to fight? Yeah. And for these individuals, it's life or death. Correct. So for us, if it means not being able, like for some people, if it means not being able to enter China, that's a small price to pay 100%. for the fact that the, the individuals who you're standing up for their, their lives are in, in, at threat. Their lives are in That's what we're talking about. You know, Absolutely. The, the and from my perspective, what from it wasn't even, it, it was the Uyghurs, but it was specifically in relation to the Hong Kong protests. Yeah. Time before that, it had already really started because I've fallen out of love with the NBA. But since that, they have, I have cut off all the social channels. I don't watch the games on television. I've, um, I refuse to buy any athletic gear that is centered around that NBA economy until they stand up and actually take some action and say, you know what, if you want, if you want to ban our TV rights in China, go ahead. Yeah. We're not going to stand for this. Yeah. This is more important than the bottom line. But I mean, that's, the sports conversation is a whole other conversation, right? You just have to look at the, the, the takeover of Newcastle to realize how quickly we're we're able to step away from our morals in order to, to turn over some money. Absolutely. I don't know if you're aware of the player for the, the Celtics, the Boston Celtics, who's massive on Uyghur justice. Um, yes. I can't remember um, his name. Oh, God. Um, I know exactly who you're talking he's about. He's amazing. He's amazing. I, mean, I, know, I can't remember his name. Somebody will, somebody will shit on yeah, me for yeah, not remembering yeah, his he's, name. He's, but He's incredible, and he's done a bunch yeah. of great stuff. But look, sports, again, is a massive, it's a massive issue. Um, 
you know, I, I don't want to, we, we probably get into that for another hour, but, <laughs> but, but there's, there's so much of the world that is entangled in this and so much that we as individuals are. So what I would say to people is the findings from the Uyghur Tribunal come out in December, December the 11th, I believe is the date, but maybe the, yeah, the, the 9th, the 11th, like that, that time. Um, keep an eye out. Please keep an eye out. And if you can, where do, where do people go, Jack? It, tell tell people where to go. If if you've got any um, if you've got any links, we'll obviously put those in the description yeah. below. Um, but if there's anywhere you want to direct people to go and have a look for more information or any of that stuff, let them know now. So Stop Uyghur Genocide um, are the UK-based organisation. Their their website is you know at at stop at Uyghur Stop on Twitter, stopweegergenocide.co.uk or stopweegergenocide.com. Um, there's a youth-led organization called Yet Again, who do incredible work on human rights. Check them out. They're, they're amazing. Um, Eloise Bishop, our campaigns manager, has, has done work in this area. We're currently producing a documentary on um, the, that's kind of involved in the, the tribunal and talking about kind of the Uyghur people, the Uyghur culture, um, and particularly with a focus on how that question you asked, how do you hold a, a country as big as China to account? You know what are the steps in which we can take to be able to do that um so that'll be out sometime next year uh there are the, the campaigns are growing and i would say get stuck in and do what you can and learn about the issue learn about what's going on and listen to the Uyghur people um share their stories um uh, uh, there's maybe a few individuals that i could direct people to as i say rahima uh, Mahmoud, um rayhan asat her brother ekpar was a, an entrepreneur he's been um He's been interned in, in a camp. She's an incredible individual. Her um, work, her campaigning, tireless campaigning has been amazing. The World Uyghur Congress um, as well, they're, they're fantastic. Campaign for Uyghurs in the US, um, they do amazing work too. So they're, they're, that's who I'd say amazing. Um, get, get in touch with. Write to your MP, like small things like that make a massive difference. If we can get a question in PMQs or a question raised in, in a debate, or that kind of stuff is huge as well. Um, but you know, that's what, that's what I would say. It's important that we do awesome. what we can as individuals and, and remove as much purchasing of products made from China from your life as you possibly can. Um, that's what I would say. Be aware of where, you know, what you purchase is, where, where, what you purchase is coming from. Yeah. Um, and you know, we can start to pressure, uh, you know, the country to, to act and, and the world to act, but it's, it's, it's crucial. It's crucial that we do so. It is, and it, and it's going to take a ma mammoth effort against a mammoth organization like the yeah. CCP, you know, and um, and nothing but collective sustained pressure will be the thing that you know ultimately you know drives this into the you know into the history books, you know, where you know it should never be in the first place, but unfortunately it's going to. But we only can do our best to try to reflect it as you know the honest tragedy that it is. And the horrendous genocide that it is and calling it anything other than that is misrepresenting it in the favor of the Chinese Communist Party. And we should be holding a mirror up to them and we should be holding them accountable at every single turn in every single way that we can. And the only thing that's going to do that is through highlighting stories like you've done today, the work that you're doing, the work that all of these great organizations are doing as well. And, um, you know, that that, that makes me optimistic because like you said, there, there's people that are really, really fighting on this. And now we need the big, you know, heavy hitters to come to the table as well and say, you know, we're not going to take this shit anymore. 
So, um, so, so that's amazing. Um, listen, I think, I think that's a good place to wrap Jack. What do you think? Agreed. Yeah. Tell, uh, tell, tell people, tell people about, uh, Demographica where they can find you guys and, um, all, all the social links. Again, we'll put them in the, in the, in the show notes and everything like that. But, um, but it's been an absolute pleasure. This is probably our longest podcast that we've ever done. So, um, so you hold that title now, uh, for sure. (laughs) And, uh, and, and it's been a fantastic conversation, but before we go, uh, tell people where they can find you guys at. Sure. So first of all, you know, it's always a pleasure to chat to you. I really appreciate you having me on, um, the Demographica Network, demographicauk.com at DGN official underscore on all socials um you know you can find all of the the content that we produce there and please get involved you know if you're interested in writing stories if you're a young person especially that's interested in getting involved in in journalism or in discussions about politics and social issues and you don't feel like you've had a place to be able to do that that's where we come in that's the opportunity that we provide so please engage um and yeah i would say you know like try and stay hopeful about the situation that we're in we talked about a lot of stuff that's maybe a bit uh we did bit dire the situation that we're in but you know stay positive and conversations like this always reaffirm my hope 100 percent, man and you know we we talk about we we talk about you know let's call them tough issues dire issues whatever to raise awareness of the fact that they exist but not only that but the awareness that they can be overcome and sure. that's the positivity that everybody needs to maintain um and and, and with that we will overcome some of these more, you know, the, these perils that, that, that we're kind of putting out there. But um, I, I thank you, Jack. I appreciate you. It's always good talking to you, um, you know, and I don't want to put a, a number on it like it means something, but for somebody who's 23, you know, you're, you're doing amazing, amazing stuff, pal. And, um, and, and it's great to, it's great to be connected with you. It's great to support you in any way we can. And um, yeah, just keep, keep doing what you're doing, man because uh Thank you. you're, 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 you're one of the you good too. ones i appreciate Cheers. it i appreciate it um inevitably we'll do this again so absolutely uh, you know absolutely. Uh, until the next time take care of yourself and um and, and my best to everybody in your organization and that you're working with man because you guys are doing great work and uh, and may it continue for a long long time thank you i really appreciate that all the best speak soon